Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Collective Podcast. This is going to be episode 220 with returning guest, our friend Mike Hill. Mike has been on the show, this is his third time on the Collective Podcast, um, and I think they're just getting better in my opinion. Um, I'm biased, but I'm loving this. This episode in particular just has so much depth to it, and Mike and I um, getting to know one another a little bit more. That always helps with the episodes because we've, you know, we don't have to go through the, um, you know, the process of getting to learn one another. We kind of already understand how one another thinks and works. So we get right to it. And we talked a lot about these bigger picture concepts. Um, talked a little bit about the, where we, why and where, where things are right now and why we think, believe they are to be where they are in regards to just the overall tone and, and noise on the internet and just uh, overall life happiness and balance. Um, we talk a bit about our habits and evolution and how we've kind of found some interesting solutions um, that I found and that Mike has found to kind of find some solace in, one of, in ourselves and um, hoping that we can pass that along to you all. If we're feeling this way, I'm, I imagine a lot of you are as well. So this is a this is a bigger concept kind of pod, um, podcast. This one isn't necessarily focused around the creative process. It's just around living and existing. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So big thanks to Mike for coming on. This is going to be episode two hundred and twenty. Let's begin. You mentioned you mentioned there was a fire inside of you to do this episode. You were getting well, uh, angry well, and angst. I think is that what it was. Well, I was I was angry. Like basically, I just I've just watched so many conversations happening online that just are so insane now. Where where are you watching and, these? Are they on Twitter or something? Well, well, yeah. So part of it's on like twi- Twitter, which I'm, I've detached from quite heavily. Yeah, um, I got annoyed at some point because uh, I was accused of basically being a radicalist by somebody who's got a fair amount of followers. Um, somebody, you know, that I respect as an artist, but I was just sat there thinking, we've got to a point now where I'm pretty sure I'm not a radicalized fucking right wing nutcase. But if I'm getting accused of that, it starts to make me wonder how far we have gone from, from basically center that we've got to this point. And <clears throat> I've kind of been avoiding talking about anything just because I always feel like it's sensitive. And I just thought, well, if you don't participate in the conversation to bring some level of reason to it, then it's just going to continue to go off, off kilter basically. And whenever I've posted something online, I get messages from people saying, Oh dude, I'm so glad you said that. Cause lots of us are thinking it, but no one's allowed to say anything now because mm. you know, you get shot down by some sort of leftist, um, cult, you know, that, that somehow you're, you're, you've offended a load of people or that you're being discriminatory. And it's like, it's just, it's just, it, to me, at least, it just seems like, I feel like we've reached the end of what's acceptable in terms of letting, what's the right way to put it? I think in the name of being considerate and and wanting to be um agreeable and and compassionate to people that are confused we're actually now getting to a point where the people that feel they've they are oppressed have become the oppressor and i think that it's quite dangerous now because i think that it's like it seems to me that especially with the way that twitter is run that things are people are getting banned for very re- like for saying completely reasonable things 
Um, it, I don't know. It's difficult to describe. It's I don't want to go on. It's on a, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of noise I, too. Yeah. Yes. It's a huge amount of noise and I don't want to get lost down that rabbit hole. I just thought it would be good to just, um, to have a good reason conversation like we did before, you know? Yeah. And I think actually podcasts, um, are, are a great platform for actually having a dynamic conversation. Um, yes. Yeah. So there's no agenda. No, yeah. exactly. And unfortunately we don't have people of opposing views really. I think we have some pretty similar approaching views on a lot of these things. And I think that probably a lot of listeners of the show, um, do as well. So it's kind of unfortunate for us to give that spectrum rather than the other side. But I think that, um, I think that there's a plus and a minus to those things, you know? So for me, it's like, uh, it's good. It's good to have those kind of limitations on certain things because, um, I think radicalism is really kind of, uh, it's interesting to see it happening so rampantly. Um, that's why I removed myself. I, a lot of it's a psychological or like experiment gone wrong. Like Twitter is, uh, you take a you take the human language and then you distill it down to these like finite things. It reduces us to this binary um, construct that I think is actually very harmful and it causes a lot more noise more than anything. I have a friend of mine. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, but the, oh, sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to cl- close out my thought. I was going to say that I have a friend of mine, a close collaborator, and we text message, and we're often misunderstanding each other in the text message to we, at the point where we have to do a call. And like, oh, okay, and that's a friend of mine, a close collaborator. Mm-hmm. And um, so strangers with opposing views and religions and, and morals and stuff, having the ability to only type in such a small amount. Um, and a lot of people that have... Uh, frustration in their souls and their minds, you know, and egos that are like run rampant and nobody's letting, nobody's checking them. It's super unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. And I've also been, I spent the last, because I've been fascinated by this dynamic for quite a long time. And as with all things that I'm interested in, I want to know why it happens. And I've been digging into a lot of developmental psychology books about basically how people end up with the kind of worldviews they have and what, what, what leads to that worldview. And the other thing that I've kind of been finding, which is, is, is a really healthy counterweight to just the kind of general frustration is, is seeing that it's not actually unpredictable what's happening with people on the left at the moment. Um, and there's, there's all sorts of reasons for it. Like part of the reason is I've just read this amazing book by a guy called Ernest Becker called uh, denial of death. Mm. Um, and it's, it's basically this book that, that summarizes that all of our personalities are derived from the singular denial that we are mortal, that, that it's like we want to perpetuate a, um, an, what he calls an immortality project. Mm. And that immortality project is what, what we refer to as, as our hero uh, structure, which is, you know, conventionally, or, or at least historically, we had a hero structure which was based upon either religion or it was based upon if you followed these lives, these rules, you can be a hero in your own life kind of thing. But, where that's become fractured over the last couple of hundred years, people are looking for their own immortality projects because they no longer have one to grasp that's, that's collective. So we don't have Christianity anymore that people can cling to. We don't have like religious ideals. So now people are looking for a cause in which they are the hero of their own story. And that means that you've got to slowly make big issues more and more glan- like uh, granular until you have your own arena in which you are basically, you know, Maximus. 
um, and, and what that leads to. And there's many reasons that, that lead to how people create their own arenas. But if you combine that need for your own immortality project with the decay of the family system over the last hundred years and the absent father figures, then what you get is basically a lot of resentment towards absent father figures that gets turned into uh, kind of a, a hero system that's based upon um, corrupt patriarchy. Like the, that's the, the basic gist of it. And, and the more I read about it, the more I'm like, that makes a lot of sense because it's like, if you're a growing child and you, you either have an absent father, which most, which are, uh, I think it's now in it like 50% now of, of families like break up. Some people have completely absent fathers. Some people have fathers that uh, they rarely see. Um, so, so people are being raised by mothers and in the absence of having a full-time father figure where you can see that father um, providing love and providing uh, protection and providing uh, some form of kind of developmental apprenticeship in the absence of that, you start to become distrustful of the concept of fathers. And then that can lead into uh, a, a sort of generalized, in extreme cases, a generalized kind of feeling that, that fathers are, or, or male figures are generally speaking negative. Mm. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's a really, I've read some really interesting um, kind of psychology books on, on how industrialized society and the way that we structure everything now, where for example, everyone is being raised almost, almost exclusively by females, you know, in, in large percentage of, of societal situations in the last hundred years, like the man either goes off to work and the, the, the mother stays at home and looks after the child. And then the child goes to school, which is, is, is um, uh, managed and usually um, kind of um, overseen by female teachers. So what you have is a generation of children, both male and female being raised by primarily feminine figures, female figures, and then there's a large proportion of absent father figures and there's a large, uh, there's not a, a huge amount of presence of father figures in general. And those father figures themselves are, 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 are not necessarily feeling empowered by the positions they're in either because they might be in jobs they hate. So they come back home late at night. They don't see their kids very often. When they do see their kids, they're already, they're not bringing back their, their knowledge. They're bringing back their, their disenchantment because they're basically coming back after doing a job they hate for, you know, 12 hours, maybe put the kids to sleep and then repeat, you know, rinse and repeat. And there's all these various factors that it's just, there are so many variables that go into what's, what I think is happening at the moment, which is that there, there isn't any more a consistent family structure in most of society. And there isn't even, there's not big families anymore, like in general, the, the, there's, a, there's a huge proportion of disintegrating kind of family networks. And I think that's having, I, I believe that's what's having an effect on development of people is that as they as they are developing, they're, they're feeling like an absence in their psychological development because there is an absence, you know. Mm. You know, 500 years ago, you would have been an apprentice to your, you would have been with your parents in a, in a consistent system until you got to the age of independence. You know, you'd have an apprenticeship where you might be with um, a mother or father figure consistently, you know, through through your development. And now it's, you know, we, we, we send kids off to strangers, to look after them in systems where there's, you know, not necessarily any, you know, any, any real, any real particular system that's been developed for the child's emotional and psychological development. It's been there to, to, to check their intellectual development. You know, like the school system is there to just to measure your, your IQ test and your SATs. It's like, well, that's, that, that, that ignores the large port, the, the largest portion of the, like a child's development. It's just, well, make sure you, you pass this, this uh, standardized test. So well, that's not 
that's not helping children grow up into adults that are balanced, you know? But anyways, yeah. I'm off on a tangent. No, 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 there, it's so. good. It's good. I ha- I've been writing notes too while I'm listening to you because I have a lot of questions. Also, um, having been raised by a single mother, um, being that being my main programming and uh, not having a, my birth father basically just left before I was born. So kind of having that, but then also having, uh, um, my godfather, my dad, now he basically took me under his wing. He was, uh, one of my mom's boyfriends when I was really young and we just had a close connection and we've, we've had one ever since, which has been really great. Um, but I'm fortunate to have that. And I think that there is a, there is a strong connection to that. I was talking to my, to my daughter months ago about, um, I was just talking to her about her friends and, you know, just, I'm always kind of curious and interested and, I think it's important, obviously, as a parent to, to, to put interest into your children and ask them about their friends and stuff. And, and we were talking about like, oh, so what about their parents? Because I always we always like to talk about that as well. And she's like, oh, they're, they're divorced. And, I was, and it kept becoming a trend. I was like, I was like, geez, how many of your parents, uh, your friends, parents are still together? And then out of all of them, I think it was just one. Yes, it's it's say, it's yeah. crazy how yeah. high the divorce rates are. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it has a. I mean, I, I was fortunate in that I was I was in a family that didn't get divorced, but obviously all families have varying levels of dysfunction um, yeah, yeah. That, that that potentially kiss on divorce. Mm. But uh, but it it's never really occurred to me since well until the last year I've really been digging into the, to to try and understand the effect that things that we think aren't significant, but the effect those things have on the psychology of a child are massive. Um, the idea, like one of, one of the things that so a lot of psychologists really put investment into, and, and it makes so much fucking sense, is that when you're a child, you go through a, a narcissism stage. And the reason that you go through a narcissism stage is because you are God. You, you scream, people attend to you. You, uh, you want something, people attend to you. If, you are always right when you're a child. And then whatever figure is around you, if, if they're at least remotely functional as a human being, they will look after you. Because uh, what you do dictates what they need to do for you in order to, you know, you, you can never be wrong as a, as a baby. So you develop a, a form of narcissism. And the sort of first uh, two, to, two to four years is effectively about going from a, a sense of being completely narcissistic. And that's necessary because you're the center of the world and you can't defend yourself. So you need to be the center. But then the first four years is about slowly having that um, that sense that you are the the only being in the universe, having that slowly eroded, and then you become aware that you know you're, that your parents aren't slaves, and actually your siblings aren't necessarily um, you know you see the classic case of narcissism when when a second born child comes into the family, and the first born who might be one or two is like what the fuck is this? Like, why is there another baby in the family? You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of children develop like a kind of resentment because they think that they're the center and the movie, the good son. Oh, I haven't seen the good son. Oh, it's Macaulay Culkin. I think is in it. Or is oh fuck. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And that, that, that's when the kid is pathological, right? He's actually pathological about having anyone come into the family. That's not him. That was my brother uh, and my, cause my brother and I are seven years different. So it's a little bit out of the fringe of the, of that connection, but yeah, it's, it's a very common thing where it's like yes, a competition it's, for something deep, a deep psychological connection to the mother figure. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And this is where Freud was like, look, you, like you can't underestimate the importance of these connections to father and mother, like the, the, you know, the Oedipal connection where the, the, the son wants to effectively, 
in theory, wants to replace the father in order to be the sole object of the mother's love. Like the father is a comp- is a, is a competitive um, object in a child's mind as they grow up. Mm. But anyways, I digress. But the, the the important thing that a lot of psychologists uh, now like genuinely believe, and they've believed it for a long time, is that the side effect of a child being a narcissist is they don't they not only believe that they are entitled to stuff, they also feel an immense sense of responsibility when something goes wrong because. If they are the center of the universe, if the parents split up, the child immediately somehow believes that it's because of them. Mm. Because if, if you're the glue that holds the universe together, including parental figures, if the parental figures then decide to divorce or separate, the child doesn't understand why it's happening and they have to assume that it's somehow related to them. And it causes massive issues of um, value issues of, of, of that there's something implicitly wrong with them or that, that, that they've been abandoned because they've done something wrong. Um, which is why like, people don't, people don't, um, well, people that have, are in divorced family, like I can't even imagine, uh, what it feels like. But when, when parents get to a position, for example, and this is probably the worst thing I can imagine about, about divorcing, uh, when you've got kids is making the kids choose mm. which parent to be with. I cannot think of a more even though it's not intentional, a more cruel thing to do to a child than to make them implicitly pass judgment on which parent they uh, needs to feel like they like it has failed. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like yeah, choosing it's one tough. parent is by definition we have making that in a our child too. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. Because my my daughter is uh has, is we have split custody with uh, my wife's ex husband, so it's yeah, it's definitely a. Uh, it's complicated. It's a, it's, it's complicated and it's, it's unavoidable and it's not, I'm not, I'm not passing judgment. I'm, it's not like a, oh, this should never happen. It's just like, I've, I've only just recently begun to, to try and comprehend from a, from an impartial view, what it means, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's kind of unearthing a lot of stuff where I see a lot of behavior online and, it, and I'm seeing patterns where I'm like, Passive aggressive and like yes, uh, identity, yes. uh, identity, uh, crises and yes, exactly. And I, I see a psychologist probably once or twice a month now and it's, she's been really helping me kind of unwrap a lot of these like deep rutted kind of habits and patterns that yeah. I've had because growing up as I did, I mean, we all have our own paths, right? So, um, but also acknowledging like the strengths and weaknesses of your path and, and also kind of commemorating them and, and acknowledging them and moving past them. Um, it's really yeah, difficult yeah, to yeah. do and you have to be in a position like I am to be willing to go into that dark area. You know, I kind of like um, come up with a lot of visuals and I was saying to my therapist that when I look forward in my life, I see it's very clear. It's like a clear day looking forward and I see a lot of foundations and stuff and, and building and I'm building a lot of cool stuff. But then when I look behind me to my past, it's almost like a, I see like the tops of mountains, but with there's like all cloud inversion basically. So I can't see mm. down below in there and nor do I want to go back in there, you know, cause it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's really challenging, you know? So I see why a lot of people um, act out the way they do. And it reminds me a lot of who I was and who I um, have grown beyond, I guess. And not to say that I'm bigger or higher or and there's a more evolved. I think it's just, there's just different levels to your life. You know, I'm 36. I should be evolving. I should feel uncomfortable. I should be trying new things and I should be working on my mental self and acknowledging the past while looking towards the future. But 
Well, I'd say, I mean, I've met, I've met you a couple of times and, and I, I would vouch for, for the, I would say that from my, from my impartial opinion, I do think that you are an example of somebody who has reached a sort of level of centeredness that you sort of see the world without a, a distorted filter on it. Uh, in your, especially in yourself. And like, I'm, I'm still trying to find how I've still got filters on and I'm, you know, I also see a psychologist as well. And it's been a fascinating, um, kind of almost six years and seven years now. Mm. And it, it's, a, it's amazing looking back at the very first time talking to that person to now, how many layers of filters I had on that I've been slowly taking off. And I have no idea how many, how many more I need to take off before I'll be actually balanced. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Cause and they're cause all blinding got, too. You don't even know yes, you have them on, which is and, the and craziest thing. And that's, that's the thing that, that's the thing that I'm seeing online right now, which I find really, uh, and there's, there's really not much you can do about it is that when you're talking to somebody who is so traumatized and is so pathologically defensive, uh, it's point, you can't even interact with them because if they're not willing to even accept that the reality that they believe in is not necessarily objectively true. And it might be that it's their ego that has built this narrative in which they are the victim and they may well be the victim, but the way yeah. that, that that becomes distorted, they may well have been a victim, but the way that becomes distorted into a sort of almost conspiratorial, um, you know, the world is organized in such a fashion that we are oppressed systematically so no, 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 you've, you've, you've had some horrible experiences that you're probably not even conscious of and they have, they've transmuted themselves into this narrative in which you can protect yourself from horrible feelings that you don't want to confront, you know? Yeah. And that's what I see the most now is I see a lot of people in a lot of pain that just find it a lot easier to come up with a narrative of like an extreme narrative that they spout online in which they are completely devoid of any responsibility for themselves and confronting their own history. You know, yeah. there's a lot of blame games. There's a lot of using the past as an example to make sure that their, their habits in the current day make sense and are acceptable yeah. and stuff. And I despise that to the highest yeah. level um, because I, I, even in my talks, um, one of the things I say is your greatest attribute is taking responsibility for yourself and your actions and your time and managing that. It's a yeah. direct result yeah. to your personal happiness, you know? So, um, and the moment you don't have that, it's really, it's really difficult. Your life, your life quality instantly fails. Basically it instantly, it's like, yeah. it's almost like re removing oxygen from your life, um, is when yeah. you remove, um, responsibility. We're going to definitely, I want to definitely dive into what I know it, that we, that we know is to be wrong, which is a lot easier to do than to kind of propose solutions. But I definitely we need to make sure that towards the end of this episode, when we get there or how we ever we get there is we need to find um, some constructive um, scaffolding, I think for mm -hmm. those that are listening, because I think the thing that can really help and mold this is something that I learned from better minds and myself, like Gandhi is like, be kind whenever possible. It's always possible. And I think like the moment we have these conversations are really beautiful and they're strong, but the thing we could do, to better the world around us that we need is to try and find like, how did we get to where we are? Is it through therapy? Mm. How did we learn how to remove ourselves from these situations? You know, like, and, and, and not just like having lofty advice, but like advice that 
both you and I have found to be constructive and useful so that we can pass that on to the people that are listening to this. And if the world is separated by what, like six degrees of shit separation, mm. well, uh, we think we could have a pretty positive impact on people yeah, if, yeah. We, if we, if we yeah. give them the, 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 the construct, you know? So, um, but yeah. I, I don't mean to digress because I definitely, I, I think that what you're proposing and, and the suggestions are very true. And I think there's a lot of, uh, I think the numbers probably, probably make the most sense because um, the interesting thing is more than ever in humanity, we were able to kind of analyze our actions and interactions. Um, but I would say that the, the, the interaction with our electronics and the cell phones and the internet and all that kind of stuff isn't actually the human. Uh, it's not, it's not a very human thing. I was just in Japan. And, mm. I mean, I guess it is. I don't know, but I was just, just in Japan and um, have you been to Japan before? I haven't, no. I passed through the Tokyo airport, but not actually left into the city. Uh, you really need to go if you can. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a fascinating place, and especially from a Westerner's point perspective. And I'm a Westerner that was really kind of deeply connected to Japanese culture via living in Hawaii. But, like, there's a lot of really powerful and interesting things in that society, and my wife and I were really kind of commenting on it. There's this um, innate sense of space and respect I think so people mm. although it's very congested people aren't jumping into you or falling into you or making lots of noise you're on the train smashed together and nobody's talking really mm. a lot of interesting things like that there's a lot of like kind of innate rules like when you're on an escalator or walking on the street you hate you keep to the left everybody's in a line um, but everybody's also on their phones and they're in their own space in their own world so there's a lot of give and take with this. And the moment I mm. landed, uh, we landed in LAX and had to drive. I got like road rage and I was like really angry and like frustrated, um, with mm. just like the culture shock of coming back to a world that is kind of just freestyle and a, a newer world. I think America is a very new country, especially in consideration to like the time that Japan has been around. So, but I digress. You should definitely, as like, just as a psychological kind of societal kind of experience, um, it's a really special, unique place. There's a lot of um, yeah. interesting. I'll get things. some after the after the after this. I'd love to get some tips from you in terms of because it's definitely on my to do list, and I'm still I'm still traveling full time, so yeah. it's definitely something that I wanna I wanna dip into soon for sure. Yeah, I've been three times, and I don't not a, I can't even get close to even expressing. Uh, I have no expertise on the place at all, but um, I have a through the three times that I've been there and each time has been a 10 day visit. And uh, mm. yeah, there's definitely some things that you, you definitely want to make sure you, you understand the rules um, just yeah, because you yeah, don't want to be that this. person. So yeah. Um, yeah. But, and there's also different levels to Japan, obviously too. There's the nature side, there's a cultural side, there's a rural side, there's the city side, there's all these different things. And for me uh, just as a visitor and a non-expert of Japan at all, I just really, I really enjoy observing it from afar. Um, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, it's just, it's hard to even, I think it's mostly I'm talking about it heavily is because I'm still overstimulated from just, <laughs> just being in Tokyo for, cause we were in Nikko for, um, about four days and then Nikko's like two and a half hour train ride North of Tokyo. Mm. And it's in like the, the shrines and the, the hills and these beautiful quaint towns. And it's really, um, just stunning up there. And then we went down into the city and, you know, it's Tokyo. It's just a megatropolis. I was in mm. New York the week before that. And it was kind of interesting going from America's biggest city to, um, 
Tokyo and I was like, okay, <laughs> Tokyo is just like, it's like 400 New Yorks. I feel like it's like, you can't, you can't even compare <laughs> yeah. it. Like it's on another level, but yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it was what I was trying to get at is just the different societal norms and interactions and, um, people interacting heavily with their electronics more than ever. Um, and I was asking myself like, why, even when I would take my phone out, every time I take my phone out, when I don't think I should, I always ask myself like, okay, well, why am I doing this? Yeah. 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 And I go, okay, am I seeking love right now? Like am I checking comments to see who's commented? Sometimes that's the case, you know, acceptance mm. and love. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do, yeah, you, I think do you do that too? I do. I do. And it's, it's partly, um, I mean, there's the logical reasoning is just, you know, it's like a neurological system that just repeats itself because it, it previously yielded some kind of positive result, whether it be dopamine from like likes or whatever. Uh, but I do, I think deep down, I think it is a much deeper issue. I think that it's, you get your phone out because you want uh, almost like a, a validation of your, your existence somehow, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. My, my life means something to people out there. And this phone is the portal in which I get that validation, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's what it means on a deeper level. Like if you get below the surface of just, Oh yeah, it's a dopamine hit. And Oh yeah. It's like, it's nice to see pretty colors. I think it is an urge to feel connected and validated by, you know, it's a replacement for what we would have had a thousand, you know, a couple of thousand years ago from a tribe of constant interaction with people where we, you got those feelings without a device, you know? Yeah. Holistically. It also could come yeah. from, cause these are things that I am constantly wondering like, okay, well, why, why do I share my work? Um, why do I like, even before we did this podcast, I'm like, look at these images, you know? Mm, and I think yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe it's like, Hey, I enjoy you. And I, and I, in the way that I express myself beyond being this human, it, uh, and that's one thing I love about art is like, I'm born as a Caucasian male in America. Right. But my art is another entity, you know, it's like another thing mm. and how I see the world or how I capture it or how I make things in it for me has always been like, this is another thing. Like I, mm. this is something that I made. I might be born in this body, but this is my mind, you know, which is, I think one of the biggest gifts of being a true artist, I think is like being able to express yourself from within yourself, you know, which is crazy. Yeah. Well, this is, this is, um, this is actually something that this guy Becca talks about. Um, and I think it's really, really important, especially right now with, um, gender dysphoria and different identifications with whether it be, whether you consider yourself male, female, or any other, any other, uh, kind of identification. He, he, before, uh, this is, you know, he wrote this book in the, quite a long time ago, I think like the sixties or the seventies. Um, and he, he doesn't specify anything to do with gender dysphoria, but he talks about the distinction of, um, the symbolic self and the creature self. And what the, what he, he, he sort of discusses is that we are all of us arbitrarily, booted into existence into a, into effectively a vehicle that, or a vessel that we didn't choose. And that's, you know, the, the creaturely aspect of you. It's like, and it's the aspect of you that we, we have a natural, um, fear of. Um, and he uses, he, he specifies it with like developmental psychology that when a child, for example, starts to realize that they can, um, that they, that they shit and that shit smells bad and that it's a, it's a thing of shame and, um, you know, 
uh, females when they get to the age of having a period that they, they they bleed and that's a shock because it's like what the fuck like there's there's you know i'm my this this vessel is not under my control and it's also fallible and, and mortal and we we hate as we as we kind of come to the realization that we're actually flesh and blood it scares the shit out of us because it means that we're going to die and that's where we create our symbolic self. And our symbolic self is the eternal aspect of what we bring to the world that isn't defined by flesh, flesh and blood and, um, and the aspects of us that we didn't choose or, or even, you know, volunteer for. And arts and, you know, kind of expression and the desire to, to be something symbolic in the world, whether that be um, a leader or a fucking peacemaker or a reformer or a, or an artist or a lawyer or a businessman or a mathematician. Those are all um, manifestations of the spirit wanting to leave its, leave its print on the world in a way that is completely uh, untouched by the flesh and blood death that's going to take place inevitably. Does that make sense? So mm. you're actually... By, by bringing your symbolic aspect to the world through arts or through anything else that you do with your intention, you're, you're basically building your, immo- your, your immortality project is that. And that's, you know, and when that becomes pathological, like when you get in the case of, say, someone like Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs got to a position where he was so entranced with his symbolic self that he actually got to the point where even when he was diagnosed with cancer, he just thought that he could sim- symbolically will it away with, mm-hmm. um, you know, homeopathic. Uh, he, he became so entranced by his own immortality project. Mm. And that was being constantly reinforced by the, the sheer force of will that he was bringing into the world over his lifetime, that he actually got so identified with his symbolic self that he could no longer accept that his creature self was fallible. Does that make sense? Yeah, and he, he, it's, he, it's, he got lost in himself. Yeah, got lost in his in, in the symbols that he represented, and it's super. I know it sounds super esoteric, and I'm I'm struggling to like get to really grasp a lot of it. But the more I read it, the more I'm like, shit, this is esoteric, but it it makes a lot of sense in terms of how we're all driven to these acts that are beyond physical kind of. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but no, 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 but it's. But it's a, the Ernest Becker book is Denial of Death, it's called. I mean, it's a, it's a really good book that I'd, I'd recommend digging into because it explains a lot of the behaviors and the tendencies that we're drifting towards at the moment. Mm. How did you being, come upon this book? Uh, how did I come across it? Denial of Death, I found through a physical another, book too? Are you audible? Yeah, I've got, I've got physical books because I annotate. I annotate mm, the, right. the hell out of all my books now. Um, yeah. I came across it. Oh, I came across it through uh, a book called um, Iron John by a guy called Robert Bly. Mm. Um, Iron John is this, um, it's this book. It's called uh, Iron John Men and Masculinity. And it's this poet called Robert Bly, who's really well versed in psychology. And he takes one myth, which is called Iron John. And it's like a classic uh, myth from like hundreds of years ago. It's, it's a very short story. And it's just about, you know, classic boy uh, leaves the, the castle, goes and discovers a lake and there's a big monster in there, blah, 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 blah. But he uses it as a, as a sort of spring, springboard to describe how that myth is, has a, is a slowly, has, was a, a basically a slowly evolving story that, that, that we developed over centuries or millennia even, um, that became, uh, like a, a, a representation of psychological development for, um, 
for boys growing up into men effectively and there's different myths for females and, and males that represent the developmental cycles of how you need to or how you can respond to the world given your hormonal um kind of and chromosomal kind of package that you're you're dropped into and then the culture that you're in how you, how you can navigate that space classically um but this guy robert Bly, who's a poet he takes it and then he explains he maps it onto real psychological development and psychology uh, and it's, it's a bestseller it's like it came out in the God, when did it come out in like the, the 70s or something mm. um it's a really great book and he, he he references lots of different psychological psychology systems that you can then go and tap into um so i've i've just been kind of when he talks about a principle that i find really engaging i'll go and just order the book and then read that book rabbit hole it up yeah hmm. yeah yeah it's it's, it's, a, it's a real rabbit hole at this point hmm. one of the things that i I think about a lot too in regards to the evolution of a, a, us as a species We're talking about um, how um, more now than ever, or it seems like it is um, like men or just children in general are raised by um, mothers and, and all this kind of mm. stuff and, and the interesting part of that. But at the same time, I was also thinking about, um, I always like to do devil's advocate. So I go like, well, is this so wrong? Like, is there, like, is there a way to kind of look at this uh, as being like, are, where are we evolving towards, you know? Like, maybe this mm-hmm. isn't such a bad thing and maybe we will evolve into um, these creatures that are, like, independent uh, from the, from, maybe this is our departure from the, the grasps of religion or I don't even know, you know? Like, I, it's something I've been, I think, well, obviously the thing we know is to be true is that change is inevitable. Um, mm-hmm. when I travel a lot, I'm sure you get this feeling too. Maybe it's a sickening feeling. I get a sickening feeling. I don't know. I don't know if you do too, but everywhere I go, I'm seeing people just consume like heavily mm. on everything, like gluttony. Um, and, and I do sometimes too, like, um, uh, like people are just eating food, like just rapidly. And I see people like eating their phones rapidly, you know, and I don't know if it's my perspective on things, but I also try to ask myself, like, is this wrong? You know? Um, mm. is this, mm. is, am I judging things in a way that like, I'm just getting old and I'm like looking at it in a weird way, you know? Um, I don't know. It's just like a, a food for thought. Cause sometimes I wonder if my predisposition on the world itself is actually just me kind of not being able to come to terms with change, you know? Yeah. 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 I know exactly what you mean. I know. Well, I have the same, the same anxiety a lot of the time. Um, when I go through different places where it's just like, wow, this doesn't seem, seem right. And I, I, I think, I think that somewhere along the way we've, we've taken things have been created that have shaped the pathway of, of our culture and our, and our kind of way of approaching life. I mean, one of the things that I found recently that I found quite fascinating is for example, the history of the school system, which is, the school system that we we rely upon so heavily to un, to understand how to educate children and then bring them into the adult world, hopefully as fully formed adults. And I didn't realize until recently that the the sort of school system that we use today in the Western world actually came from Prussia, um, and it was developed by the Prussians uh, in order to not to create well-rounded, emotionally developed, balanced human beings that thought for themselves. It was specifically developed to effectively filter. Um, filter the populace into functional uh, kind of categories in which they could be used for production. 
mm. and the entire methodology like. of well that's exactly what it is it was it was a uh, a way to to make to to and this isn't some conspiratorial you know thing this is a this is a well documented piece of history of the education system that it was a conf- it was a system designed to to create conformity for the factory model because at that time um you need like it was the beginning of the production model in the industrial revolution and the production model needed effective workers and the last thing you want when you want effective workers that produce um like clockwork is for kind of independent thinking um, you actually want to 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 breed in a level of obedience and discipline to to do the work um and it wasn't because of some like evil dude in a in a leather chair it was just a, a practical thing that the system required the thing is that that system then got identified as being very very useful for organizing people and it got exported to to uh, you know the western world as being a great model for the education system and and in combining with that and I'm butchering a lot of history here so bear with me but mm-hmm. the the IQ system that was developed um, and that eventually led into the SAT uh, score system uh, was kind of an extension of this categorization model in order to make sure that you could identify the people that should be sent to develop weapons versus the people that should be sent to the to the to the to the um, to the front to be war fodder um, it, it's basically a, a way of understanding intellectual intelligence was a way to to measure things that were important for the production model but obviously like eq like emotional intelligence which is a has a massively high indicator of how people develop beyond school um is completely neglected it's not even acknowledged it's, there's no there's no criteria within the school system to acknowledge for example social skills um you know high eq is the biggest indicator of people that become political um activists or, polit- or who work in political parties and there's a guy called Daniel Goldman who wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. Yeah, it's a great um, book. Super good. It's, it's such dense. a good book. Yeah. Yes, it's it, it took me a while and, to get through. I didn't even finish it, but it took me a while to get just get through enough so I could kind of take some tools from it. But man, it was a yeah, it's a powerful it's, it's, book. It's, powerful book. it's a powerful book, and that guy—he's a smart guy, and, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this as well. But from what I remember of it, he effectively set up a a kind of experiment through, it was either Harvard or whatever uh, institution he was kind of a representative of. He set up like a, like a school experiment where he managed to get people that he knew um, and a, 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 what's it called? Like a group study together where people's children would be allowed to go to his, like his new school design. And the school design didn't adhere to the SAT or the IQ measurement system. It, it, he had a whole new, um, methodology for raising children in which uh, eq was going to be measured which is the capacity of a child to understand emotional intelligence in order to understand other children's emotionality and understand and read empathy for example and these are the things that are the the indicators of people that have high eq are the people that we end up um, having in in managerial positions and high level positions and, and political positions if they're high in eq the they, they're extremely important functions of, of society. Mm. Um, and when someone has a very high IQ, even though high IQ will be a very strong indicator of um, your salary, of your very high IQ, it's, it, um, I don't remember the exact details, but I don't think it has a, a, a correlation towards general happiness. I think actually people with high IQ might earn a lot, but yeah. they end up being fucking miserable because they don't know how to manage or navigate human situations in which 
it's human situations which you which yield your sense of meaning and purpose and 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 your your ability to be with uh, you know a community and um he used the example i remember one anecdote from uh, uh emotional intelligence he, he talked about um a, a girl that from every normal metric in the normal school system was basically a dropout and she was she was not particularly social she was on the outskirts she was on the out out um on the outer edges of, of the, the sort of playground all the time. And at some point he, he, they thought that maybe she had some sort of a, like a, an issue with socializing or there was something wrong with her. And that's what the normal school system would have declared is there's something wrong with her, Right. Mm. But then because he was using this new EQ system, which is where he's actually looking for other variables, the school system wouldn't identify. He started to ask her questions about like, um, for example, about the other children in the class. And she was the only child in the class. She knew exactly who played with who, what the dynamics were, who was um, having an argument, who liked to play what and where, who, what was whose favorite toy, et cetera. And Goldman basically was saying, this child has the potential to be like a very important political, you know, force because the ability to understand social dynamics is one of the most complex things that a mind can do. And she was doing it seamlessly. But if you looked at her from the outside using a normal metric, she'd have probably been put into a special class. Sure. for dumb kids you know and it's like we live in such a fucking fucked up world when mm-hmm. you're basically churning human beings through this meat grinder that only identifies like one set of skills and they're the sets of skills that will have no fucking use in 10 years time they're mm-hmm. the sets of skills that will be the first to go mm-hmm. as automation takes over to uh, devil's advocate to that though sometimes it's in- actually interesting to miscategorize to mislabel to miss uh, you know, like I, I grew up as, as uh, dyslexic. I was in special education for most of my life and I took it upon myself to like beat that. I don't know if that makes sense, but not beat it in a sense like I beat dyslexia. But I, what I did is I, I acknowledged my weaknesses. I knew I had them and I knew that they could be crushing me in my life, but I didn't use them as a crutch to identify myself with. Basically, I didn't let the outside world identify me as such. And that takes a deep inner trust but then yeah, when i definitely. overcame it my hero's journey took flight flight you know and then it was actually quite a beautiful thing for me because then you have the journey you know yeah um, yeah yeah but but I, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there because no no that's that's a good it's a solid point i think i think one of the things that's happening at the moment which i think is is damaging is the methods by which we come up with categories and the degree to which we consider them to be systemic so for example um well, take, take, for example, um, take, for example, like ADD, so attention deficit disorder. Um, ADD is not, and this is going to sound ridiculous when I first say this, but ADD is a response to a child in a system where there's an anticipated behavior for them. So you could say that a child at a desk that won't sit there for eight hours has ADD, or you could just say, it's a fucking child that doesn't want to be at a desk and what normal circumstance in the history of, of, of uh, human beings evolving, have they ever been expected to sit in a, in a room staring at a blackboard and fixed to a desk when everything in their, in their evolutionary uh, network uh, kind of um, neurological network is saying, go out and play and climb trees and interact. And, and in the school systems where you have like Finland, for example, in the Scandinavian systems where they embrace play and they embrace outdoors and they embrace uh, this kind of dynamic. My sister actually sends her kids to a 
um, uh, she's in England, but she, she, her kids go to a Swedish uh, play school run by a Swedish, Swedish teacher. And it's, it's all year round. They are in the woods. They're in the forest. Hmm. There's no, in, there's no indoors. They, they are outdoors all the time playing like, in, you know, from the age of like uh, one till three. Cool. Um, there's no, there's no inner play. That was my and, childhood in Hawaii. Just on dude, my own yeah, though. And, yeah. Well, like, and, uh, I, I don't know what it's like to be, so you, were you, were you homeschooled or were you? No, I went to traditional school, but, um, but as, at the same time too, my mom was a vagabond. So we would travel a lot. So we would go down to Mexico and Guatemala and all these temples and Chichen Itza and like all those things. Oh, man, that's, so that's, that's I awesome. hated it as well, a kid though. I hated it. Like all I wanted to do, I mean, my name is Ashley. I had long blonde hair and I grew up in a in, in minority poor area. So I was the only white kid. So it's like, it was just, and again, I mean, I don't, I don't bring this kind of shit up. I don't want to use it as an excuse, you know, but at mm. the same time it was tough. Um, but this, yeah. but it yeah, was yeah. also quite beautiful if you take on the challenge, you know? So, um, I think I always think of that, um, that song by Johnny cash, the boy named Sue, you know, it's like you make the strong man by calling him a woman's name, you know, like you make him, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I only know my own programming, so I'm not trying to like say that. I don't know. Yeah. 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 And, and it's such yeah, a touchy fucking sure. subject, this stuff these for days sure, too. I'm not. Well, it is, and I'm not. I'm not by any chance, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, claiming like that. There's one way to do this. No. All I'm, all I'm saying is that I believe that the rigid way that we've, the origins of the of the education system, uh, are historically proven to be not about developing a child to the extent that they could be developed with all the knowledge we know about what a child needs. They are. It's a system that's been developed, and been forgotten about being kind of reformed in order to be updated and modernized because that system's so slow moving it's still antiquated and stuck in the idea that that you have to go to college you have to spend a hundred thousand on college to get a degree that's fucking useless like this whole system is built to continue churning through and uh if i look for example even if i look at your personal development uh as a as a concept i wonder if the ash thorpe that is today here would have been possible if you had been uh ground through the meat the meat grinder of a conventional education system and a conventional you know you, you get a different exposure to life and i'm not saying that that yours was superior or inferior i think that there is a way that you could develop a system that has the the a healthy balance of all of the necessary inputs you need in order to have all of your neurological kind of systems be exercised um kind of healthily you know, yeah. and I don't think that sitting at a desk and taking standardized tests to do with with memorization, um, when you're at the age where you should be playing and socializing and experimenting and interacting and 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 seeing the world and grasping and and gaining curiosity, not having it strangled out of you, I, I just think that that's is doing a huge amount of damage. And it also just seems to me a, a slightly we we accept it as being standard, but the idea of saying to a parent, it's like, oh, by the way, your kid's now two, and now you have to hand them over to the, to a complete stranger, uh, in a system where they're going to be looked after for the majority of their, their, their child life. Um, it's just a weird concept. Like it, it, we, we're used to it, but it's a strange concept. Yeah. We're going to take your child and give them to a stranger for the majority of the day. Um, so there, you know, it's just, there's so many weird things we don't necessarily question when it comes to, how That's a chicken and an egg thing too. It's quite actually having a child and, and you know, our daughter is, is a unique child and, um, and with the shift from, she was at a, a unique 
kind of school system um, early in her education, which was very hands-on and very tactile, and it was a unique kind of, uh, I forget the, the name of it, it evades me now, but, and then having her go into like the conformist system was really difficult um, for all, all of us. And the last thing, I don't know how to explain it, but the last thing you want as a parent is to have these calls from these people that you're sending your kid to and saying them telling you and critiquing you and your child about like, you know, what is missing and how to get better. Oh, and, and it's, yeah. it's really tough because at, at, for me, it's like, I don't want, usually I'm, I, I, I can be very anti-conflict until there's a point where then I get, I get really violent or crazy, you know, but for the yeah, most part, I've yeah, yeah. tried to avoid it um, because I feel like it, it's actually unhealthy, um, obviously mm-hmm. for various reasons. Um, but having raised our daughter's uh, almost 15 now, so we've gone through a big part of the spectrum and it's really difficult, you know, like this whole system uh, where you know, especially working in this industry, as you know, is very demanding. It's very, it's very um, selfish. It's very uh, insular. It's, um, it's a very, it's, it's not, it's not, um, it's not family centric at all in any way. Um, and that's probably why I've personally accelerated in it because like, I don't have, because I grew up the way I did and how I moved out so early. Um, Cause I left home around 14 like have becoming my own person so early. I think it, this, this industry is kind of fit me perfectly, but it doesn't fit families perfectly, you know? So, um, mm. running into a rabbit hole here, but I'm just saying like from my interaction of actually being a father and also raising a child and having going through this system. Um, it's interesting. We went to, um, her high school, uh, like, uh, open house is what we call it. And it's kind of like, the beginning of the year we go as parents to meet all our teachers and they kind of tell us what mm. they're going to be doing and all this stuff. And it's interesting. I mean, I, I thought of it to be a lot more, a lot much more negative, but then when I went through the system and kind of met with the teachers and they explained how they teach and how they like to work. And I mean, I, I think we're quite blessed because we're upper middle class. And so she has these resources in the schooling and the system and the teachers that really care. Like I really felt like the teachers really cared about her. And, yeah. And so yeah. that was really great and it was endearing. It was actually, um, it made me feel really good about the situation. Um, and I know always the system can be better, but I'm just saying from my experience to just actually living it. Um, it's been interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. I think there's definitely, I, I don't doubt for a second that the teachers are doing everything in their power to, to do the best job they can. I think most of them, it's like cops, you know, there's, there's, it's all a job and not all, you're not, not every cops can be great. Yeah. It kind of, it reminds me of, um, you've seen the wire, right? Yeah, of course. It's a masterpiece of entertainment. Yeah. And just the season where, uh, where David Simon focuses on, on just describing the kind of dynamics of the school system, the inner city school system. And that, effectively it's a system that's that's implicitly not going to be able to succeed in actually looking after the kids because of you know policies and because, well there just there are so many reasons like whether it go from budget or whatever but Presbaluski is doing his best to bring the best kind of form of education he can to the kids yeah but obviously with all of the limitations of what happens when you know you 
yeah, there's just so many, there's so many systemic issues with the system, not with the people, with the way the system is organized. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's happening more and more now, like you're hearing in the States that teachers are having to buy the textbooks for their kids. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's getting to that point now where, you know, budgets aren't functioning and, uh, it's just, it's, it's just been like that crazy. for a long time though, honestly. I also, the one thing I try to always grasp, and this is a question I wanted to, I posed and I earlier on when you were mentioning things is, has there ever been a time in history for humanity in general where it was at its most supreme sublime? Somebody's always paying something for something, you know? Yeah. So yeah I feel I like somebody like, whether it's like the high end imperial age, well then you have slaves, you know, it's like, or the, yeah, the golden well, I think, age. I think I kind of, my, my, my belief is that we're going through a kind of cultural adolescence at the moment um, where we're kind of, we're, we're, we're very much a bit like a, a teenager that's not been, that doesn't have any guidance or any kind of mentor yeah. for the last couple of hundred years. And in terms of cultures, you know, the, the span of culture, the last couple of thousand years is like a blink, like a blip on the, the radar. I just feel like, we were exposed to a whole new set of um, technological developments that shaped or that pushed culture in a certain way. And I think that the next, the next kind of couple of generations will be about saying, okay, we've made huge leaps forward, but what did we forget in the process? Like what, what, what have we completely, um, what's been lost to the sands of time in terms of how, we as individual human beings and as networks of human beings, how were we, how did we actually evolve to be organized? Because ultimately we, we evolved with an ideal circumstance, which is the evolutionary conditions that, that allowed us to, or that we won in, you know, which was effectively like tribes, you know, hunter gatherer tribes was, was the point when our physiology and our, our, our kind of neuro physiology was, was effectively tailor made for the conditions that we were living in. And then suddenly we had like this breakthrough where we discovered tools and we had, and then suddenly there was an explosion in like cerebral cortex where we developed all of this new comprehension of how to solve problems. And then that meant we found new problems to solve and quickly, quickly the cart was before the horse, you know? And, and I feel like what's happened in the last, especially the last maybe hundred years is, is that we've, we've, what is it? The, the, uh, the, the, the sort of what should have been the slave, which is technology has become the master. And now we're chasing the technology instead of letting it uh, be a supporting mechanism for how we know we should be living. It's like we live, we now live to work, not work to live. Um, and I think that's a result of this, of us being completely unconscious of the fact that we are serving a system that was not ever designed for well-being. It was not designed for welfare, but the, the, the history of like modern culture, like the nine to five day, the five days a week, none of that was, none of that's inherently, um, uh, pragmatic for our, for our, our well-being. That's just a byproduct of the, the, the sort of industrial revolution and the technological developments that we've made in the last couple of hundred years. And I feel like the next stage is going to be about everybody taking stock and being like, hang on, what have we lost along the way here? Cause you know, there's, there's still, there's plenty of good case studies of where Scandinavia, for example, which has a completely different value system from say the U S there's plenty of evidence to suggest that there are different ways to approach living culturally productive, production wise, community wise, um, that, that could massively help in, in well-being. 
you know? Yeah. And, and the question is whether we're going to start saying, well, what is, for example, I was listening to a podcast today by, um, the Chris Rosewarn, uh, designer that I'm friends with. He, he sent me a link. It's a Joe Rogan podcast with the, the Iceman, the Dutch guy that, that, oh, yeah. uh, Wim Hof. Wim, Wim Hof. And I, I don't, it's an old podcast. So I'm, I'm yeah. way out of date. It's a great with one. It's a great one. And I don't know whether he's, uh, I don't know whether it's validated everything he's saying, but I assume to some degree it is because he seems like a pretty experienced dude. When he talks about the, it seems so logical when he basically describes what scientists have realized from his idiosyncratic adventures into fucking sitting in ice for 80 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That in studying the physiological responses, they're realizing, oh, it just so happens that the human body actually thrives in conditions that we consider to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's like, oh, hang on, maybe, maybe we've actually been padding ourselves because technology has provided us with the means to pad ourselves and in, in the process we've been killing ourselves. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense actually because when I go and I, I've started doing saunas and ice baths, yeah, I'm in Prague at the moment and uh, I signed up to a gym that has an ice bath, uh, like, an, like, a, like an ice thing that you dip into in a sauna. And oh. my God, I can't, I, I just, I've been doing it for like not even like a week and I've got to a point now where it's November, it's December here in Prague in, in Eastern Europe. And I can, I can go and do this ice bath and sauna. And then I can literally walk a mile in a t-shirt and shorts to go home. And I feel warm and it's mm -hmm. fucking December. Yeah. And it's like, Interesting and he, he took, he talks about how that we, we basically, our bandwidth of experience is so small now mm. that we expose ourselves to very low highs and very um, high lows and instead we should be exposing ourselves to the bandwidth of extremes because then your body's like, yes, this is what I was built for, like stressors. And instead what we're doing is we're cocooning people. And this is where, I think this is where the, this is also what's leading to this sense of um, highly sensitized children that's happening now is that everything's a trigger warning because we're so, uh, we're so lacking in Bunch real fucking for, snowflakes, man. Get with well, it. that's yeah, and it's and, and I feel so, I've, I, I feel like I've got I've got two reactions to this. My first is anger, but my other is like sympathy, and it's not sympathy because these people yeah. need to be cocooned further. No, it's sympathy because these these people were born into a system that treated them in such a way that they're now pathetically unable to handle reality. Yeah, and it's Sad. like is that is that their fault? It's not. They've got to take responsibility for it. You know, you, you're you're not responsible for what happened to you, but you are responsible for what you do. But it, it's like we we we've been raising, we've been raised, and we're raising on faulty operation manuals. That's what I think is happening at the moment. Our operation manuals are like cultural status status quo, and the culture that we we live in was never designed to be good for us. It was, that was never its function. So it's not a surprise that we're we're completely fucked up now. Um, so it's a long way of saying I think that the next step to your question, which is, I think that we've made massive leaps forward, but we are inappropriately applying the things that we've learned in the last five thousand years. Mm. Yeah, that's why I love. Uh, it's interesting about your the experience you're having with like putting yourself through adverse situations. I think that's something that. Um, Joe Rogan uh, is a big proponent of, and that's why he has people like David Goggins on and, and these extreme, they're, they're, they're more on the extreme end and like the Wim Hof and all that stuff. Like, I don't, I, I mean, I think it's amazing and it's awesome and these guys exist, but they're definitely outliers, you know, where I mm. think you don't have to like, I think a lot of people, myself included, when we watched that, we're like, fuck, like, how do you, uh, how do you even, uh, 
like enter that spectrum and you, you usually don't want to because that's a whole different level of just life itself but um for me the things that i've experienced and you do the the salt baths or the the, the cold baths i i actually really loved um jujitsu for that reason jujitsu yeah, is jujitsu is 100 percent putting yourself in the most adverse weird situation possible with people and i've known friends that I've had for a very long time and I've never been physically as close as I am with them than a stranger for the first time I do jujitsu with them. You're literally trying to kill, disassemble somebody else's body. And it's uh, really interesting. Like it's, but it's, you would think like on the surface, when I read that out there to people that have never done it or have no idea what it is, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, but it's actually, um, an interesting thing. It's a, this is, uh, I was, it was, it was actually ironic. My coach Gio and, and Kyle Chambers, they were out in Japan at the same time I was ironically. And so we all met up and we were having beers oh, and nice. having a good time together. And it was really cool. And we were just talking about the love of jujitsu. These guys are very high level. I'd say in their spectrum, they're a top 10 to top three in the world at their weight class in jujitsu. That meaning mm. that like, out of everybody that does it, they're the top of their, their of their ranks. And so they're very obsessed and very dedicated to it. But when we were talking about our love for jujitsu and when we really go at it, com- compete and combat and battle one another, it's like, a, it's just like really beautiful thing that happens. It's really hard to explain. Um, but the, the adversity I think is what I'm getting at. You know, it's like, there's this. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, man, I actually wanted to talk to you about that. Cause at some point when I head to LAX, uh, LA next, um, I was going to actually ask if I could get like maybe a, a little starter pack in jujitsu because it's, I've been listening to Joe Rogan a lot recently and like he's a massive proponent of it. And I heard you talking about it when we were in Moscow. Yeah. And, and it's weird because it, it coincided with reading a lot of these books on, um, which are, are there's two books that are, are really good. One's Iron John, which I mentioned, which is about masculinity. And the other one's called, um, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. Mm, I think um, no, sorry, King. One. King Warrior, Love and Magician, I forget which, which way it ends, which is about the uh, sort warrior, of Warrior, Magician, breaks. Lover. Yeah, it's, it's a, man, dude, if it's, it's a really easy to read book. I've read it like four or five times. It's, it's, oh God, man, it's so good. It talks about the, the development. It talks about, uh, the development of the male psyche, um, the healthy and unhealthy ways that the male psyche can develop. And, it, it I enjoy restates. that you celebrate the masculine side. I feel like more than ever, this it's is, being attacked. The, this the, is exactly, exactly what I feel. Yes. Like 100%. And I, I don't really think that the issue, this is, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I, I've been thinking about this for like, I tend to think about a lot of things before I voice my opinion on them, even though sometimes I make mistakes. I don't think that the world is in trouble right now because of too much masculine, uh, because of too much masculinity. I think the world's in trouble because there's not enough healthy masculinity. Yeah, healthy, healthy masculinity yeah. can only be achieved by having responsibility for the for the ag- aggressive potential that's within every single person that they can exert either with their sense of control and responsibility or unconsciously when they lose control. And what the King, Warrior, Magician, Lover book makes the distinction of, it says that masculinity comes in two forms. There's boy masculinity and there's man masculinity and uh, adult masculinity. And what we're seeing in the world isn't toxic masculinity. It's boy masculinity. It's, It's grown men that have never been given the conditions in which they learn to understand, harness and be responsible for very important 
uh, emotional and physiological forces. You know, aggression is not a bad thing, especially when it needs to be used to counter a genuine bad thing. But what we do at the moment is that, and this is where jujitsu I find to be, when you talk about it and what I've read about it, is it's a space in which there is the safe, simulated uh, learning of how to exert and control responsibly the forces that are within you so that you can be stable and centered in yourself. And that's something that should be taught to females and males. Like it's, yeah. it, we're talking about masculinity as if it's a one-sided thing. It's like, no, what we should be doing is developing systems in which healthy masculinity and healthy femininity is, is produced in both genders and celebrated and instead yeah. and celebrated instead what we've had since basically the, 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 the flower power movement is a misunderstanding of what masculinity is as it being just a, a de facto force of, of tyrannical patriarchal I destruction. Think we, I think we'd all agree. We all cannot stand the childlike masculinity. I think that's the most annoying shit no. ever. It's a, it's the it's guys so with, with the loud car oh. bullshit stuff, like the guys yeah. with the douchey outfits and the addiction yes, to strip clubs. Yeah. I mean, that's just fucking annoying. Like that's who wants one hundred percent. And you know what? There's, I think there's also another flip side to this masculinity to, to undeveloped masculinity, which is people haven't yet realized just how insidious it is. Which is that when people don't behave with that outwardly brash masculinity, which is kind of an unfiltered, unrefined masculinity that's just being projected outwards, that's not really truly core to the center of somebody, what you get instead is this insidious um, feminist allies, which is people that, that like dudes that pretend oh. they, are, they are the fucking allies of women because oh, that's, that's their way to try and get closer to, to basically, in order to, to, to prove a sense of masculine value that, that is I've encountered a lot of sneaky. people like that. It's really it's sneaky. I, it's really it's, weird. It's really it's weird. It's fucking horrible. And, yeah. and it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not powerful, responsible, um, human adults. It's, it's boys that have grown up in, into, into manhood without being given any guidance on how to be related to their feminine and their masculine aspects. And it's not really a surprise. It's like, to, to quote Fight Club, you know, it's a generation of men who have been raised by women. And there's nothing, that, yeah. there's nothing wrong with being raised by, by women, but mm. there is something wrong if you're raised exclusively by women. And to use an example, imagine how disgusted we would be if you, the school system, at least in the UK, it, it varies between cultures, but I was raised in a school system where I was raised almost exclusively, I'd say 90% by females. So, 50% of the population of children are male, 50% are female. We all go to one school, and in that school, all of the teachers are widowed 60-year-old females. <laughs> and obviously, those females are going to do everything they can to provide the best possible guidance to the children under their protection. But they obviously only know one side of the operations manual of how to develop uh, the, the feminine and masculine uh, aspects. So, of course, they're going to provide the feminine interpretation of how to raise children. So, for example, rough and tumble play, no way. No, you can't play fight. No, you can't get dirty. No, blah, blah, blah. There's lots of things that they, that they were very much against, which meant that you've got boys who have a natural predisposition to want to do certain things because of their hormones that get suppressed, and that's not healthy. Oh, if you flipped the worst that, thing. If you flipped that, imagine how, how fucking up in arms people would be if we said 
that you had to send girls that were between the ages of two and 15 to a school where they would exclusively be taught about their feminine aspects by a 60 year old man. <laughs> yeah. We would not accept it. It would no, not be accepted. Weird? There's a lot of weird double standards. For good standards. fucking yeah. reason. Yeah. And, and the, <laughs> the reason that, 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 that we now have a generation of boys that don't know, understand. And I, I consider myself one of them. I'm a late starter to trying to understand same, what the fuck same, went wrong. Same, same. Is, is that we don't have any rituals, any transition rituals that yeah. are governed by mentors that are I think that's why male, Joe Rogan's such a big, he's so big yes. in general, in general population. Because I think a lot 100%. of men need men like him, <laughs> you know, honestly. Yes. And yes. he's, he's a guy who's like, hey, I, I can do drugs and still function. Hey, I can be uh, boisterous and celebrate my masculinity, but also be very feminine. He like... There's yes. moments on the show where I, I remember one time I read a comment. He was crying about Anthony Bourdain dying, and I thought that was a beautiful moment. And I thought I so I that was a moment. I was like, that's 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 pure masculinity right there. Like being yes. um, raw and and emotional and direct with your emotions. And then I remember somebody's yes. comment so said true. like Joe Rogan's Oprah or something like that for men or something. Oh, and I was, like, fuck's I was sake. like, God, thanks for for like that, you know. But like. But it was like, it was a beautiful moment. And I think that's why um, myself, at least, as being a fan of his show, um, is, is, is I, because we're seeking that mentor, you know? And yes, for a lot of people, I definitely. think he's the mentor for a lot of people. And that's why he's bigger than Fox News and all these things. And I think, I, yeah. I, and I really appreciate it. And he's one of the big um, muses for me with jujitsu be, I mean, one of the, actually the big proponent was, I know Gio and Richie, um, Freakazoid and Boogeyman, they're break dancers and friends of mine that I had prior to this. And they were like, uh, they went through a whole change in their lives where they went from break dancing to jujitsu and mm. they, they kind of ushered me in. So I, I was very lucky because they're two incredible athletes. And so, and they're my, my coaches. They're like my, my mentors at this point now, mm. which is really cool. Like we've shifted from friends to them being my mentors, which is really interesting as well. But, um, the Joe Rogan thing I think is, is, yeah, it was like, he was one of the first people that I think that I don't know. I've met him, uh, one time, but I don't know him obviously personally, but because of the extension of a podcast, um, you feel like you have some sort of connection and, it's beautiful. Like he just had a, I think his name is Josh Ham. He's the singer from Queens of the Stone Age. Super good mm. episode. Super, super good. I think you would really actually love that episode. I'll have to link you with it if you haven't listened to it already. But yeah, man, please, please but, do. I'm, 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 I've been listening to him like religiously the last kind of week, just nonstop pretty much. The, um, the, the thing you were touching on earlier is, and I think I really appreciate it, And I think it's something that, you know, we can only understand how to be men. Cause that's who we are. That's just, mm. and, and I don't want to, I don't, I, there's a, there's been many times in, in these recent years where people, I feel like shameful almost, you know, or even yeah, shameful of being an American man. because of Donald Trump. And, and the more <sighs> that, like that becomes a pressure cooker. And, uh, yes, yes. And I, I'm hyper aware of my emotions and knowing these things, but I start to look at things and I go like, no wonder Trump's running this country. Yeah. And no yeah, wonder yeah, this yeah. shit's happening because people, are, are bringing it about and the people that are, are oppressing like a masculinity and pushing this stuff down. It actually creates a lot of like weird stuff, you know, and that's unfortunate. Oh, yeah. So, but so, and, and, and I think you, you brought up a good point is like, there's the true masculine side, which is the sensitive side, the, 
the strong side, all of these attributes that are really beautiful and amazing, that's what everybody wants regardless. And if mm-hmm. you refuse that, then you're simply not in tune with life and living. And yes. I think the thing yes. that people are having a problem with is they're, they're confusing masculinity with this other thing, which is the ego and the clown, you know? Yeah. And that's oh, not man. it at all. 100%. 100%. And I think like, going back to going to the Trump thing, I mean, I'd love to, to like, we should, we should definitely, when I'm in LA, like sit down. My, my next talk is, um, I'm, we always want to talk about more. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the next talk, um, I've already done it a few trial runs, but I'm still developing it. It's still very rough. Um, but it's about, it's actually partly about Trump. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of doing something which is unorthodox, which is trying to explain in such a way that doesn't elicit empathy or sympathy, but at least understanding of, of Trump is not the problem. He's the symptom. Mm. If you, if you have a, Hitler, an entire, was the same kind of thing, I think. Yeah. yeah like it, it's like, if you put, if you have a broken system and then you put broken human beings under broken developmental circumstances, it's like there's a proverb. It's like the, the child who isn't embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. Mm. It's like mm-hmm. when you've got, when you've got a fucking system that isn't there to encourage and, and respond to the human needs of human beings, then that festers into this resentful um, uh, kind of monster, which is lashing out in, in the absence of the feedback it needed to, to develop. And with Trump, it's like Trump is, Trump is the product of the American dream. It's like, the American dream is the pursuit of personal profit. It's the pursuit of freedom. It's the pursuit of, of, of excellence and achievement. And people say, oh, how could Trump be president? Well, wait a minute. It's, it's a culture that celebrates personal profit, that celebrates um, uh, expressing, expressing consumption, um, celebrating consumption, celebrating acquisition of goods, celebrating acquisition of land, celebrating uh, wealth. Ego um, celebrates ego, ego big time. Uh, ego is complete, the big ingredient. Yeah. It's the big ingredient. And then you sit there and you look at a president that is celebrating acquisition of wealth, celebrating ego, celebrating uh, all of the things that the American dream literally was built upon celebrating. Mm. It, it's morphed. And it's like, well, of course you would eventually end up going through an echo chamber of eventually promoting upwards the, the figure that most drastically represents the values you believe are sacred. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not massively surprising when you look at it from a zoomed out perspective, you know? Yeah. Um, I look at it interestingly too, as I'm not a political guy and I don't spend much time ever investing myself into the political game because it simply feels like uh and there's no end to it it's a zero-sum game for me like or not a zero-sum game it's 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 a unequal odd thing um but just being an american citizen um it, the my life experience here in the country hasn't changed it's not gotten worse or better it's simply the mm. same and yeah. and a lot of the noise i hear i feel like i hear it from like outside sources so yeah, I guess I could probably say this. I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, but one time I was, it was like a weekend and I was hanging out and then I got a call from Kanye West's assistant and mm. Kanye called me and he flew me out to, I forget where it is. And I don't talk details, but anyways, uh, had this crazy experience with this guy that I only had like experience of him through the media. Yeah. And so I spent a whole day, 16 hours with him intensely like working really close and the the dude is, I mean, I only had 16 hours, right? So I can't really, but he was cool. Super nice guy. Like 
Mm. I, I, like I said, I don't know, but at the same time, what I'm getting at here is don't believe everything is told to you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 And, and I learned that first and foremost because then I left and I was like, wow, like all I heard was that he was basically an idiot egomaniac. And I think a lot of what he does is he goes, Oh, okay. I think he's playing everybody and he's playing around with that game and he's good at it and he's okay with that. You know? Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, man, it's, if this is, yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's, that's, I didn't, that's an amazing story, but I didn't realize that, that, that happened. That's, that's fucking cool. Yeah. I haven't told anybody, so I kind of kept it on download. It was a couple of years ago. So <laughs> like that's there's awesome. a lot of these cool. kind of things. I kind of, don't like to ever talk about that stuff because it's it's weird you know so <laughs> well that's well man I, I think fair fair play to you for not sharing it because it's like it's one of those easy easy win uh social media things but um yeah but it, if in in light of like not being on the podcast like honestly i don't i i my belief is that i think trump is a slightly more pathological version but i think that behind closed doors the guy is just a dude doing everything that he thinks he needs to do to continue living successfully under the model that he was told to live under. Like he's just, he's just a guy that is confused. He's an old man. That's just, Oh, I think I need to do this because I was raised to do this. Mm. You know, I, yeah. I do feel these guys, these guys are just, they're human beings reacting to the system they're in. Yeah. And I guess all we, we are all, we are all that, you know, which is interesting. So, but our reaction to it is really interesting. I don't know. I, I just, I'm, again, I'm going to play that devil's advocate. I just love to play that side because I'm always curious, like, well, why do feminists feel that way? Or why do people that are super like raging, like a uh, men's, you know, like a, uh, um, like, why are they like that? You know, I'm always curious. So like, why do people kill each other? And um, mm. why, like, um, is there a reason behind these things? I think it's, you have to look beyond yourself. You have to empathize and look deep and you have to go far yeah. beyond your own. Um, I think that comes, you probably experienced this too. And I think this is a benefit of traveling a lot is interacting with different people and cultures and way of life. And, um, you know, we're, we're blessed to, to, well, I don't know if we're, I guess, yes, I'd say we're blessed. Um, but I would say that our, our living, our experience of life comes with a cost. Um, obviously as everything does and never, nothing's ever as it seems. So like, Um, but these talks and we travel and stuff like that, like, um, do you get, uh, like, does it take a toll on you? Um, it, it, which, which aspect, which aspect do you mean physically or do you mean? I'd say mentally, let's say mentally more than anything, the the talks and the traveling and, and kind of, you're becoming more of a, of a social figure as well, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm physically, I'm both energized and exhausted i've just landed in prague um i came to visit chris last week went to budapest for a little bit and came back to prague and i just i actually just got my first apartment it's a short-term rental Mm. but i got like an actual apartment and for the first time in a year i put my clothes in a cupboard um (laughs) interesting and i i can't i can't tell you how much of a weird relief it was to to at least emulate like normality for Mm. like uh, you know being able to open a cupboard door and like have clothes organized, not being a bag. It's important. It, I think it is. And I've realized I've, I've maybe gone too far into chaos and now I need to swing back. So I got gym membership, I'm training, um, doing CrossFit and stuff. And I, I have been exhausted by the process, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue it. Like it's not, I'm not, I've got no desire to settle down. Um, I almost want to learn to, to embrace it even more and, 
you know, that's why I kind of reached out to, to do this podcast again. It's like, it's good talking to you and it's a good, like, it, it just feels like there's more to life than just fucking drawing and not, not degrading it, but like just drawing well, there concept is. art. There is just, there's just more, you that's know, just and a I don't small wanna... little wink just, of a life experience. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and but I feel you could like make it your whole life, you know? So, yeah. And yeah, and some, some people, some people do, you know, and I, I kind of, I think I'm beginning to, to sort of maybe take lessons from your trajectory in terms of where you've taken it from, you know, there's certain seeds which, which are identifiable, but then they've kind of blossomed into these different, uh, different, what, what would be the right word, outputs somehow, you know, from Learn Squared to the podcast, to all of your projects, your personal projects, to your traveling, your photography, um, and I'm just like, yeah, that, that seems more, I, I would never have considered that three years ago. You know, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't accept any invitations to podcasts a couple of years ago. Um, I think, yeah, it was, it was actually really hard to get you on the first time. It took us a while. Well, I think the, the first though. time was, was it industry workshops? I don't think I had, I don't think I had much of a choice. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. And I could see it in your did. eyes. You were like, I don't want to fucking do this. So I tried my best to like, be like, let's just have fun here. You know? So. No, I mean, you, you did a, I was, I'll be honest. I mean, you can see it in the recording. I'm kind of hesitant to, to even be, I just don't like being on the spot with, with answering stuff. Um, yeah. But well, I, I can I'm, tell you've I'm changed the- a lot though. You've evolved quite a bit. Cause I think your energy that when I first met you was more like, you were kind of coming into another level of yourself. I think like you were still kind of like, okay, I think I'm this person. I'm trying this and I don't know who's to believe and who's to trust, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I think, Skeptic, I think you're right. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty, um, astute, Not a bad place to be. Um, observation. Yeah. No, it isn't. It isn't. I think I'm, I'm still in a similar position now. It's just, I've shifted, I've swapped one, one step out for another. And I feel like I'm constantly going through that, but, um, but I think listening to you talk about jujitsu and um, really try it, you would love it. Well, man, 100% what I've realized in the last two years is just how neglected the concept of masculinity has been. Yeah. It's quite sad. Um, and it's like reading some of these books is, it's been like moments where I'm like, Oh my fucking God. It seems so obvious now that it's the most, um, neglected and it's been made to be a, an object of derision and shame to, to, yeah, op, to, to offer any form of masculinity. And it's like, no, it's like, I've realized I'm also like going back through my history with my, my family and, and my social groups and school. And, and, then, and then it's all, yeah. it's it, dude, it's like, do you know, in Shutter Island at the moment when, <laughs> when, when yeah. Kingsley explains to DiCaprio that he's actually fucking mental. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you suddenly go back through every event in the film <laughs> yeah. and you go, hang on from this perspective, it all still makes sense, but from a different viewpoint yeah that's how it's been going back and flipping i did i I went and did ayahuasca again um uh about seven weeks ago Mm. um with with all of this in mind so i kind of did three sessions and but was taking into the experience the the sort of knowledge of the misinterpretation of masculinity um and now it's i think what i'm interested in is you know the things that that are self-evident to you now that you know you see you know because you you've got a balanced aura to you that which i think can only come about from lived experience of kind of embracing the balance of, you know, you've got, you've got the aspects of being nurturing and caring and soothing as a, as a father, but you've also developed the aspects of being kind of strong, controlling and, and, um, uh, you know, powerful in the sense of being able to have the yin and the yang, you know, and it's difficult. I just, yeah. I just, it is difficult. And I think that we, I think that 
what's happening right now is that most men have been raised under the false narrative that to to show any sign of masculinity is basically toxic. Yeah, um, I know totally that. I, it, it's so fucking wrong. And, and celebrate I, it, but do it in a, I, and celebrate it in the way that is actually truly masculine, not in yeah. the boyish clown style. Like, but like the caring, nurturing, high level, um, omnipotent mind level. You know, like that bigger yeah, mind. Like, you know? Definitely. And it, it's, instead of seeing it as gender roles, it's like, no, it's, it's, it's human, it's human aptitudes. It's like both male and female should be offering up both sides of the, the feminine and masculine, um, kind of yin yang. Yeah. It's like, it's not, it's, it's, and the, the ironic thing is that the more, uh, uh, men secede ground to the idea that, um, that mas- masculinity is toxic, the more I'm seeing a growth in a sort of defective masculinity from females. Cause it's almost like they have to pick up the slack of what men aren't offering. <laughs> yeah. I see you, that you know too. What I mean? Oh yeah. hundred percent. And, and, and I'm, I'm speaking as I, I hear like 1% of very extreme vocal people online talk about toxic masculinity, but every balanced female that's one of the 70% of the, the, the exhausted majority of the political fucking wasteland that is the polled people of America that believe that actually the extremes are fucked up. Everyone in the middle of that fucking wasteland is like, I don't know where all of the fucking uh, mature men have gone. And I'm actually really fed up of this whole generation of, of completely soft, weird, hesitant boys that have grown up as like men, you know? And, yeah. and I, I've been looking at my own behavior over the last 10 years. And I'm like, ah, that's definitely like me. Like yeah. that's, that, I, that's how I think. Because I thought, because I have it too. I thought, yeah. I thought that was the way that you were supposed to behave as a man because being a man is basically evil and we're a part of the patriarchy and it's toxic and we should never show any signs of masculinity yeah. and to even like it, I've, I've been living that for like 10 years and I think most men are. And I think that like you were saying, Joe Rogan and I think Peterson as well, Jordan Peterson. Jordan is, has, uh, he's that he, guy. Man, he's like, a fuck. guy. He's the, the interesting thing. Jordan is, is he's, almost too smart or like he's too, almost too sharp. And man, when he, like there was an interesting thing that happened. I started really listening to him and watching him. And then I it was almost like, I don't know how to explain it. He's on this. It's almost like uh, I'm trying to find the right words because I don't want to sound insulting at all to him. Cause I, I really admire, but at the same time, he's almost like the equivalent of a feminist for the men, but he's not, it's hard to explain. And so I, I, for me, it's like, I really appreciate when people take ownership of themselves, even if it's completely disagreeing to me, like even if it's like a raging feminist, I go, Hey man, like that's your, or Hey woman, I guess, you know, that's your place to to have it. At least you're taking ownership of it. But then to, I think the real key is for you to allow the other side to open your mind, you know, and to let that in. And I think with Jordan, he's so smart. I feel like, he almost has made up all his answers. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Well, you mean you mean that he's he's reached conclusions yeah, that are solid, yeah. set in stone. Which I don't believe because he's smart. He's a smart guy, and when I yeah. watch him talk, he's so articulate, and it's just like, oh god, like nobody like can can serve him a dish of reality. Almost, you know, it's like almost like Neil deGrasse Tyson or something. You know, like same kind of thing. It's like brilliant minds thing, that already have solved it all. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Yeah. The thing, the, the, the thing that I, I find, cause I, yeah, I, I understand 100% like the, the, I, I get the, 
I get that 100% because he's a guy that's as seemingly as almost, um, what's the word? Uh, extreme in the sense that his, his mind is made up kind of thing. Yeah. But I, I think that, I think that my belief is that I think that his intelligence is, is probably several levels above anyone that's, that's in the audience. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know. He's in another spectrum. Um, yeah. He's in another spectrum. Just and tell I think the that way he, that he processes data and, and yes. it out, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You're on a yeah. different spectrum. Yeah. And, and I think that he does actually have a, an emotional pathology towards these issues that has meant that that very highly tuned engine of his has been, has been running at high revs on these issues for his entire life. Yeah. And I think, I think that actually the feeling, cause I, I know exactly what you mean. I think that the feeling that, that people have when they see him churn out his answers is, is almost so robotic that it seems inorganic. That's and I, I, I think it's, I think it's just that he's gone through in his mind repetitively, these issues and the data and the studies so many times internally that it comes out almost too elope. Like it's, he's too, he's almost too perfect in his delivery. Even when he's being asked, like, asked a question like spontaneously, he's still got something there that's crazy. That's fully formed. And, yeah. I, to me, I think it's just a sign of, of a pathological obsession with this issue. Yeah, it is. Um, ra- yeah. Rather than a, it's it's like it's like your classic. Um, I think that's why people with high intellect are so often considered to be the the, the villains in like Bond movies because it's like there's something that's uh, you can't trust somebody when you can't see the working process that led to their conclusions. Hmm. That's a good point. I, yeah. Because when you're seeing their working process of how they do it and you see the imperfections and the mistakes they make along that process, well, you can actually, yeah. you, you humanizes them. But when you have somebody that's churning, that's giving you a conclusion that's, that's pretty difficult to contend with and it doesn't seem to have any uh, evidence of an actual process that led to it, you kind of just go, well, I'm excluded from this and I, therefore I feel slightly inhuman in the in the. I, I feel like I'm dealing with something that's inhuman somehow. Yeah. Um, which I guess for him is like, it's the, it's the, the cross he has to bear for being. Smarty uh, pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 The technical term. <laughs> yeah. On a technical level, he's a smarty, smarty, smarty pants. No, absolutely. But I, I, no way am I saying that I'm not, uh, I don't admire the man and I do, do I appreciate what he's doing and what he's standing for, which I think, is just um, knowledge really. And, and standing mm-hmm. up for what he understands, which is all he can understand is who he is and, yeah. and what he is to be and stuff. So I think, and I think that it's true. And I think it's, um, I, I think it's really interesting too, is like um, the thing that I've kind of come to terms with over the years is I, I am not anybody but myself. And the moment that I try to really like empathize, I, I can to a point, but that's it really. And I have to come to mm-hmm. terms with that. And I can't, I can't look at myself and we were talking about this, the, the simple over sympathizers, like the, the weirdo cat people, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the people that are not a cat as in like a, an animal cat. I'm talking about like the catty people, like, um, yeah. let's say like, a a, a, a man who like, uh, is, is basically a feminist, but is not because he can't be, you know, but he mm-hmm. is. And it's like over sympathizing. It's like, 
uh, confused person, you know, it's like, yes, you got identity yeah. problems, you know, it's like, yeah. Um, but at the same time, like to each his own, I guess. So, and, and, and what I'm getting at for me, and I think maybe what we could do, uh, ha- um, to start segueing our podcast episode together is, um, we've mentioned, mentioned a lot of what we feel is wrong and the weird oddities of the world. And, and I think it's far too complex to put into a two hour conversation between the two of us who are young people in this world, uh, you know, like <laughs> trying to grasp the reality around us. But I think the the real trick is, is understanding how to not only empathize, but like create tools for people. And, and so that's one, one of the tools and the big things that I've done is, I've removed Twitter from my life. Basically Um, I deleted everything. I used like this app and I deleted everything that I ever posted on Twitter. So it's just gone. And, uh, and I just auto populate stuff over there from Instagram because I just tend to use Instagram more of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's one thing that I've done and my life is a lot better from that. Um, So that's one, that's one thing. Is Is there something that you can think of? That's like, it's like a direct thing that's been able to help you. Uh, um, joking aside wise it's it's pretty refreshed so I I can't really vouch for its long longevity but uh, saunas and ice baths (laughs) yeah (laughs) but that's that's not well for me okay physical thing I I wouldn't brush that off I think that's so key and I I, I would say jujitsu for me has been amazing and man woman child whatever doesn't matter you should do jujitsu or some form of martial arts it gives you extreme ownership and it gets you to understand yeah. your place and it puts your ego in check and it checks your body and it makes you stronger. And it makes oh, you, man. When I'm There's, like, yeah. when I'm alone yeah. and I'm in like a dangerous situation, or I feel like I'm in a dangerous situation. I used to be fearful. Now I'm like, let's see how I can play with this situation. Not in like but an man, ego way, but it's a beautiful way. It's like, Oh, okay. I can handle myself here. Yeah. Well, that's something, that's something I, I really I like palpably noticed when, when we hung out in, um, well, we've hung out twice now, mm-hmm. but like physically was in Moscow as well. Like there's, there's a sense that, um, and I think it's, it's something that can only be achieved by the real lived experience of doing things like jujitsu and finding your physical limits and understanding yourself is that, yeah, you had a sense like an aura that, that can only come about with the sense of not feeling like you're surrounded by chaos, but feeling like you've kind of, you know, that you're, you're prepared um, yeah, and I think that that's, thing. that's something that every human being should, should, should have, should, should be allowed to develop from childhood. And, you know, I know when, when I eventually have kids, I'll be definitely saying like martial arts and learn your limits and learn respect for yourself and other people and learn to harness your, your power and not to feel victimized and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it, it's so key, yeah, I, so key. So when I come out to LA, uh, you're going to have to 100%. set me up with some kind of uh, yes. like a starter pack for the jiu-jitsu thing. Cause I'm definitely, yeah. I'm, I'm 100% game. I really am just yeah. to, get, to get started. Absolutely. Um, it's not for everybody. I think it's, I think you are going, if you really open your mind and soul to it, you are going to, it'll become you. I think it will. It's, it's for the intellectual mind more than anything. It's for the people that love that that battle it's chess with your body it really is mm. it's, and it's on a level where you're gonna be like oh my god like this is insane it'll become you it's once you do it but you have to find the right tribe and you have to you know and so if you go to la there's a lot of really amazing gyms i i can only suggest the ones that i know of because i'm i'm quite inbred with my training like i only train with certain like people um that's because it's my hobby and it's i'm not like it's not my life um, mm. but I have, um, there's a couple of schools out 
in LA, mainly the 10th planet stuff is, is really great. So, and, and from what I understand is the 10th planet system is more or less like the evolved what's, version. What's, what's the, what's the 10th, sorry, what, what's 10th planet? Yeah. So, um, jujitsu originated in Japan and then, um, like I believe as the story goes, is is one of the main high ranking jujitsu, uh, masters from Japan ended up moving to Brazil and then, um, started to teach out there in Brazil and he, taught the Gracie family, I believe. And those are the amazing uh, Gracie family. Those are the, they're the, the sort of the Rogan talks about those guys all the time. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're just big, incredible. They're the big deal, right? Hoyler and Hoist and, um, all the amazing, you should, there's a documentary called choke. You should definitely watch. It's incredible. It's an amazing documentary. Um, I won't say much other than just watch choke. It's really great. Um, but then, so, and then there's, um, John Jock Machado was taught, I think underneath the Gracie's and then he taught Eddie Bravo and Eddie Bravo is the creator, Eddie Bravo and Jerogan, I think are the creators of 10th planet and 10th planet is a no-gi system mainly used, um, based on the design of UFC because in UFC you don't have a gi and it's used mm-hmm. for, it's like high level clenching and like, it's like being able to disarm anybody with any kind of outfit or clothing because it's human skin to skin basically. Um, mm. So there's no gi involved, and 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 at the same time, it's kind of like Eddie Bravo. If you know of him, he's uh, a unique guy. He's like he believes in flat Earth, and he's like a, he's like a like a conspiracy guy. So he's mm. he's got a really interesting oh. take. Oh yeah, they were. I was listening to a podcast today with uh, with Theo Vaughn on Joe Rogan talking about uh, Eddie Bravo. <laughs> he's the the deaf the deaf uh, like they, they have a term for him. He's like, once he goes off on a conspiracy theory, you can't stop him. Oh, he's like, done. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's out. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> I met him a couple of times. He's a right. He's a really cool guy, but he's, he, but say what you will about him, but he knows his jujitsu. He's incredibly well. And, and so his protege, his, his, his main protege or one of the main protégés. he's got many of them, but his main guy is geo and geo is my coach. And so they teach, um, they're, they're very high level. I can show you, I'll, I'll send you a couple of videos. You'll see some fucking insane shit. So, but yeah, I would say, I mean, you mentioned, um, the, the baths and saunas and, um, I wouldn't brush past that. Those are really important. So I've removed Twitter. We, we talked about how important it is to do this intensive kind of bath and ice thing. And I've also mm-hmm. mentioned jujitsu. Um, so I'm trying to think of what else can we do well, other- to arm people well- to be better? These are pretty and well, these are pretty academic things, but I can recommend three books that I found really useful in the last couple of months that are all written by different Roberts. Um, (laughs) There's one called Owning Owning Your Own Shadow by a guy called Robert A. Johnson. He's a really, really well-respected psychologist. So it's a it's a pamphlet length book, like literally it's about not even it's like 100 pages. Um, I love those. And it's about and it's about. Yeah, (laughs) they're the hardest ones to get through, honestly, usually. Well, yeah, it's every paragraph is, is depth and it's about the concept of the shadow, which is everything in the dark side of your psyche that, that basically accumulates because of repression. So if you repress your masculine side, it doesn't, doesn't disappear. It just becomes toxic. Um, uh, the next one is by Robert Bly, which is called Iron John, Men and Masculinity. And these books aren't, these books aren't exclusively for men. Like, like you can, whether you're female or male, you'll find them unbelievably insightful to do with psychology in general Mm. and the third one is by uh, robert moore and it's called king warrior magician lover um and it's about male masculinity but if you interchange king with queen uh there's you you basically get the same principles of how you develop from a child under the protection of a maternal figure up until adulthood 
Mm. It's about the stages, the, the psychological developmental stages that come with realizing that you're actually not God that controls slave parents, but it's the necessary stages that lead to becoming an adult. And it's massively insightful. Sounds with, amazing. It, it's illuminating. Like, well, man, you, you I think will it's love it. I guarantee Ripley from Alien when you mentioned this. And that's why I think she's such an endearing character in general for for across the board is uh, Ripley from uh, from uh, Alien, you know? Yeah. Because she, and that's, um, I don't want to segue, but I don't, for some reason when you mentioned that and then you kind of said it can be also a queen warrior magician lover, it's like, yes, I've, I always, she's kind of like, uh, when we're making our Star Wars right now, it's been like when we did casting, we had our, female actress only reading these roles from males and cause I'm not interested in the female male kind of separation. I'm interested in characters like ki- yeah. interesting characters. And uh, I don't know why I'm segueing, but that this book sounds like it'll give me a lot of fire. So yeah. man, I, I, Oh dude, get it, read it. And then let's, let's do a whole podcast just on that book. King Warrior, Magician, Lover, Okay. Dude, you, I, I, I know it. you're going to, I know you're going to love this book because it's, it's, it's about, the necessary ingredients to a balanced psyche and it's the king is what well, I, I could never i could never summarize it in you know in like 10 seconds but king warrior magician lover is basically the desired state of every adult whether you're female or male but the developmental stages you go through uh, for the king is that uh, well let's 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 go through it I've, i i could probably talk for like hours on it but uh Check it out and read it because it's 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 amazing. Yeah, I just bought it, so I'll get it on Friday and I'll yeah, start reading it. All right. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, a good dude, book. Gonna, and you will, you all your suggestions have been outstanding too, and I, I haven't even gotten a chance to get all the way through the anatomy of the story, but it's incredible. Um, oh man, yeah. I think uh, I think I think actually you got that one. I think because I think I learned about that. No, wait, which one? Yeah, the one, I think you told me about the John Truby's one, the anatomy of story. Oh, did I? I okay, I might, so. I might have done. I thought I thought you came. You got that. The I thought we stumbled across that synchronistically, but well, the power um, of film is the one that you recommended, and I. Think, oh yeah, yeah, the power of film is a great one as well. Um, but those, those would be my three books as three. takeaways to this to, to this particular issue, and I think that they're useful because they illuminate a new way to perceive the concept of masculinity that is completely indifferent to gender identity. It's to do with the concept of the forces of the, the emotional forces that are necessary to be a balanced human being. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's what we should be talking about. Not fucking genders <laughs> gives a fuck. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a team sport issue, you know, it's yes, the same problem I have with like, yeah. people, like, well, I look at it like, um, cause I love history. So I will look at like, Oh, there was, you know, all these different wars and, 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 the, mongrels in the con regime and then we had like you know the world wars and we had the multi like the european wars we had america involved in japan and all these different wars and then it's like well there now there's these smaller wars for like extracting um, resources and stuff um yeah and i wouldn't say that that there there are any less or more war and of any type is just bad in general and i think sometimes people there's evil people in the world they need to be removed i think from the system because simply they're just outliers and we don't they shouldn't exist like uh, sociopaths and stuff like get the fuck out of here like yeah i think we can all agree nobody wants them (laughs) i know it's a that's a harsh thing for me to say but it's like 
they're usually the ones that are causing almost all the unjust that we simply don't want or need. Yeah. But um, I digress on this, but what's happening is psychologically is there's a lot of team sports on uh, that team sports have been around forever, but it's also like it's re it's, it's basically um, uh, replacing the, a lot of what we would see in wars. And I think a lot of the video games and all that kind of stuff, it's stimulating like the lizard brain. It's something why I'm, I've never really been interested in it because I simply see it for what it is, I guess. Mm. Um, but, um, like team sports and all that kind of stuff. Um, I can, I guess I can appreciate it. I just don't really care for it, but again, yeah, another I, digression. So, but it's the team. No, sport no, thing I, is interesting. I don't think it's, I don't think, it, I think it's, I think these are really important observations of, of branches that lead back to the same tree, which is, um, I, I, I think it's all important. It's all important to, to observe like what these things are for. And I think at the very least, I think that ritualistic expressions of, of, uh, forcefulness uh, are, are, are useful at least um i think that if you if you allow people to ritualistically express things i think that's why we've always had these initiation rituals where you 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 ritualistically put people through a death and rebirth mm. so it's like a good example is with marriage do you know when when a load of guys will go out and get the, the best man um the, the groom will get they'll make him paralytically drunk mm-hmm. and it didn't occur to me until recently this is a massive digression but it is it is a crude form of ritualistic death and rebirth. You basically put <laughs> the person through. It's like you are now going to be a, a, a man dedicated to a marriage. We are going to exhaust the, the remaining life force of your singledom in <laughs> one night of ritualistic death. You know, yeah, yeah. and it's like those images you see of guys like fucking sellotape to a lamppost naked at like seven in the morning. Oh, you know, covered in their tons own sick. Of that it's in like, Japan, the salarymen get shit face yeah on, yeah. on saki right and oh yeah, it's and just, like, just everything um yeah it's, it's and, and, and right. uh Shin, you have to in shinjuku <laughs> go in shinjuku in the main square around two o'clock in the morning at, at on friday and saturday and just sit back and watch the show it's insane dude because it's it true everybody's it's, throwing it's not, up it's crazy yeah is it true that it's not socially acceptable to acknowledge it that you, if so, for example, if somebody trips up because they're drunk, if you go and try and help them, it's yeah, like you it's a sign of yeah. shame or yeah, something. Yeah, you shouldn't it's like, do that. Yeah, you shouldn't. So yeah. it's just let everyone do whatever they're going to do without yeah, which interruption. Which is cool. You just let them do it. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, ah, fuck yeah. it. You know, it's kind of like, I, I think there's an interesting self-acceptance with that. And you're kind of like, oh, well, okay. It is what it is, you know, and you kind of just, I, I just observed and I had my camera, so I was definitely observing, you know, but I tried not to be rude and I didn't take photos of people explicitly to, to kind of like, you know, um, but there's an Instagram feed called Shinjuku Meltdown, I think, and you get a, get a sense of it. It's just insane. And, and, and we would always think like, oh, Japan's civilized place. You go and ex- experience that. It's, it also goes to show you that there's it's, nothing is ever black or white ever if never it is really you know yeah. there's yeah, there's yeah, only yeah. a few very small things which is life and death and a couple other things i think can be in that spectrum but the rest of our existence and that's why um we're using this feeble thing called language to even try to address and express these things and that's why art exists i think i think art steps beyond these things when it's really done it's really expressing mm-hmm. beyond these these uh, the the confines of a, a language. It's it's a beyond. It's a it's a dimensional language, and that's why we've talked about this many times. But that's why I love film because film is like I mean, film and video games. I guess we even call it film video games. It's called like immersive art. Is like that's mm. that's really the high, uh, hyper level, the high the highest level. I think 
Jim Cameron would say that too. I think he was saying like how that's his favorite thing about making movies is it's the highest form of art really. Cause it's like yeah. combining all of the, all of the art into one, you know? So, yeah, I, I would, I would definitely agree on that. I think it's even, it's, it's a, even though it seems technically inferior to say VR, where you give people control of their, their experience. Mm-hmm. I think it's a superior art form because telling a story and, and, you know, giving people an experience is about directing that experience to the meaningful thread. And VR might be some, someday something that is able to do that. But I, I feel like even your unconscious governs your dreams, you know? Yes. I don't, I don't think some people can lucid dream, but you lose something in the process of lucid dreaming because you bring your conscious uh, control to it. Mm, um, never thought of sometimes that. you, you, sometimes you want to, you want to be given an experience from somebody that is more world wisely than you are. And a great storyteller is that wise mental, is that wise man at the wise man or woman at the fire fire in the old tribe that tells you the stories of old. Mm. Uh, you know, if, if you sit there and go, well, that's, you know, I'd rather have autonomy in my experience. Well, yeah, sure. You try and tell a story as good as the one that we've been telling for 2000 years. You're not going to, you're not going to do it just off your, your, your 10 year experience on earth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Even less than that because you're cognizant of like just how stories work, you know, and understand how to tell that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's an endless journey. I'm trying to think of a, there was one thing that you mentioned to the teenager. uh, Like we think of us as teenagers and I agree as well. And I think the one thing I was going to add to that is that um, America is, is very young. And the interesting thing about America is I think the nimbleness of this country and mm. the, the, the influence on other countries, mainly via popular culture yeah, has been yeah, really yeah. interesting. And as you see, when you travel to like, you can't escape things like McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I really hate that. But at the, at the same time, I respect it because I'm like, well, damn, can't escape Starbucks and McDonald's, you know? Yeah. So even even in Moscow, you know, which no. which in theory should be the capital city of what was previously the Cold War adversary, it's like there's fucking everything you expect from America is in Moscow. It's, it's pretty like, crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to be a different world. It's like no, it's no. Just, it didn't look any different from Berlin or Prague or Budapest. Everything's similar, kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. It's a big kind of that's the, I guess that's the good and the bad of of the world becoming smaller. I guess through exchange and and ideas and stuff, but. Um, I was just going to add to your point that, yeah, I agree. And I think that the the teenager aspect of things, and I think that's mainly coming from a younger country without a lot of experience and kind of just that, that, that pop culture really, you know? And I think, I think the real, the real shame is just, there's a lot of stuff that's celebrated that should simply just not be celebrated, which is like, you know, massive egocentric bullshit and feeding into just like unhealthy thoughts and, People just not taking ownership of shit and romanticizing things that just shouldn't be. I remember listening to David Fincher talk about making Zodiac and Mm. he said he never wanted to make a romanticized version of a killer with that film. And I didn't realize that until he said that, because when I watched the movie again, I was like, yeah, he's not. What he's doing is he's talking about the people that were like raptured by like this, you know? And, and I thought, what a respect, I had a lot of respect for him because of that. You know, he could have went like cheese ball, not to throw him under the bus, but like a Rob Zombie, which is like, yeah, let's get the blood on the blood with more blood inside of blood, with blood, 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 you know, like, and like, that's his murder porn stuff, you know, and that's weird. Um, Man, well, I think, yeah, I I agree. 
what I find fascinating about Fincher is that looking at his like trajectory, it's like there's an interview with him on Charlie Rose where he's talking about Mindhunter season one, mm. and this. Charlie Rose asks him like about what was the motivation, and he and he there's a I'm, I'm paraphrasing poorly, but he he basically says um, he was talking about visiting Quantico uh, and getting a tour of Quantico, and the woman that was giving him the tour. Um, they walked past the sort of library in Quantico, which is the behavioral science department of the FBI. Um, and they walked past like a sort of wax model of, of Hannibal Lecter. And then she asked him, like, is this show that you're researching, is it going to be like Science of the Lambs? And, and he says to Charlie, he says uh, in explaining it, he says, no, um, uh, you know, because Seven was almost like the similar thing of like the, the, the genius psychopath. Yeah. Um, you know, of like, you know, the, the gourmet opera fucking fan. And he says, um, no, he says, I want to, I want to take that back. Like these are very sad human beings that have grown up under horrendous circumstances. And he says, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty much paraphrasing this verbatim. Um, he says, this is not to overstate the sympathy or empathy we should have for them. It is simply a fact, you know, yeah. like I want to describe this as it was not not glamorize it or romanticize it i want us to understand it you know yeah. and that's what mindhunter does it's like he's like look this is the conditions that create a fucking pathological killer you know yeah and a fair play to him to go from like seven to like you know from fight club to, uh, seven to fight club to fucking zodiac to house of cards to mindhunter the, the, the guy's a genius like the guy's yeah. an absolute and he's very and smart. Seems smart, but empathic. Like the guy's trying to understand the world. That's what it appears to me, at least. And he's um, bringing us along. He, I remember he said, like, when one of his commentaries, he's like, "We're all perverts." I think he said like that. Yes, yeah, we're all perverts. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. in the uh, yeah. When he's, he Gone said, girl, "What do you I think?" think? He's like, I just think we're all perverts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> true, though. I think it's yes. true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, when he really tries to summarize it down, like you know, like if you think about like all of the subject matter. Um, that he really kind of is enraptured by, obviously. And, and that, that's the thing I was going to say about Fincher is if you know this about him because uh, the, the factual side of him is because um, if you do any research on him, like especially watching like behind the scenes of Zodiac or something, there's a really good featurette. Like he was incredibly diligent and strict on getting details as close as possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 um, you have to put yourself in the place of a director that's like that. Who's in a, every day, all the people around you are saying, I can't and I won't. And all he, yeah. he's just like, you got, you have to, we must, you know? Well, did you hear yeah. there's, well, there's two anecdotes on that. The, the first is one that, that you'll know from that documentary is when the actual police yes. investigator slash advisor says that yeah. Fincher um, realized that, like he, he basically um, kind of deducted that a piece of information was wrong yes. from the police report. And he's like, well, no, 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 like the, the tree can't be there. It has to be. And then the, the investigator was like, yeah, at that point I realized, you know, I was dealing with a pretty smart guy. Yeah. It's like a fucking film director is deducting things from the police report that are wrong. Well, because he the, lives the, it. He's living it. Because he fucking lives it. Yeah. 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 And the other, the other Stream thing. Ownership. The other, Again. There was another anecdote. Fuck, what was it? It was... Uh, to do with Fincher that was to do with the theme of that was that he's a super smart guy, blah, 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 blah. Oh yeah. Yeah. To do with, um, attention to detail. I fucking love this anecdote. This is like my favorite one. Um, 
So when they were shooting Gone Girl, do you know there's those scenes where there's the sort of media flurry of people filming Ben Affleck with a picture of his wife and he's basically saying, if you've seen my wife. This. I remember you telling me about this. I love this. Yeah, I think I, yes. I think I might have mentioned this before at I some point it. with you. It's so and it's good. Like, and then they're setting up for the scene and they're about to shoot and then, uh, you know, there's the supervising uh, kind of assistant director and, and then one of the extras is holding a camera that he's supposed to be part of the media. And he can't get the fucking light to turn on because the, the battery's out. And he says, excuse me, like the, the, uh, like I need a battery. And then the supervising director's like, you're an extra. And he's like, yeah, but you want, you want this to be like, you know, you want, you want me to look like a convincing fucking cameraman. Right. And then Fincher just turns to the supervising director and says, get the man a battery. I just love that. It's like, no, no, he's, he's not like fire the extra for, for, for saying something. He's like, no, this extra cares as much about this fucking accurate portrayal of this story as I do. So yes, do what the man asks, get him a battery, you know, yeah. such a good, such a good anecdote. It's, it is super good. And I, that's actually, um, once you told me that I kind of took, there's a couple of things, you know, like on my personal journey of becoming a director, there's these little notes and things that stick with me. And it's almost like breadcrumbs, I guess. And that's one of them. Mm. And it's like respect, what's behind the Everyone. glass. Yes. But, respect, yeah. but most importantly, respect what's behind the glass because pain is temporary. Film is forever. That's a quote that I got as well. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. a, that's a good one. Yeah. 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 But it's, uh, yeah. It's so true. what I meant was respect everybody that's, that's there for, oh, the, for true. the purpose of excellence, you know, but yes, yeah, that's, that's a, well, what's that? So, uh, pain uh, is temporary. Film is forever. Film is forever. That's a good one. I like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Because when you do make this and you're out there and you're in the elements and everything's going against you, you must realize like this is temporary, but this film yeah. itself as what we're making is going to be forever. So it's really important that yeah. we get this right as best as possible, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's yeah, never good- ending stuff though. The, the journey. I, I actually, this reminds me to, I have a couple commentaries from Fincher. I just need to go back. Oh, and dude, can you, those, can so. you, um, I've seen the one for a uh, panic room, but if you've got any others, uh, by all means, shoot him across. Every film that he's done, I think he's done commentary, which bless his heart because most directors don't do it or they're not at the level of him. Like where they'll go like, yeah. I've listened to some where they're just like, yeah, and it was pretty funny on the show that day. Oh, and it's like, you could just tell that they were just <laughs> sitting in a chair. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, were you directing or are you just sitting in a chair? You know, like, yeah, that shit yeah, drives me yeah, nuts. Yeah. But like, yeah, I think yeah. Um, Fincher is like, a, he's, uh, he's, He's, I think he's um, got that Kubrick kind of thing going where yeah, one, 100%. he That's, lives in it and he respects yeah. it so highly and, uh, yeah. and he's got a great team. I think, I think I all, I, the, the, there's one thing that I actually, I was having an interesting kind of dilemma with myself is, and it was, was, I was having a great talk with Andrew Kramer about, I had him read the latest version of the Star Wars script that we're working on. And he was giving me notes and they were really great notes. And I was, I was taking them in and out, but at, at a moment I was like, you know what? Sometimes I feel like I have to follow my own sword sometimes and I have to let rest on my own laurels. And I can't think of like watching Spielberg make films. I can't just look at them and go like, that's the way to do it. I have mm-hmm. to kind of just do it my own way. Yeah. And this is something yeah. I actually started to really learn from, um, I forget his name. He's the director that did place beyond the pines and, and blue Valentine. He, oh, I don't, I forget the, the director's name. He's really great. And if you get a chance to listen to any of his commentary, uh, or just like his interviews, he, he's like a, he's a very interesting guy because 
with all these directors like Danny Villeneuve and stuff, I, I'm like, is he a robot? I can't tell what he's doing here. Like, cause he's like, Oh yes, I love it. It's very great. And I'm like, okay, well, where's the meat, you know, give me the meat, you know? And it's, yeah. I, I've never worked with him. So I don't know. I know you have, and it seems like a great person to work with. Um, but I'm like with, with this guy, he's like, he's a guy, he's a normal person and he's very open and his films are quite brilliant in a lot of ways because he's a writer director too. And, like, have you ever seen Blue Valentine? No, I haven't. No, Ooh, I haven't. I need man. to. That's that's also with Gosling, right? That's the. Um, is that yes. the one about the, the sort of depressed? It's a really uh, gnarly love story, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. I need to. I've heard. I've heard nothing but good things about that. It'll. It shook me like deep, and it made me cry like a fucking baby. It was really, really great. Like, you had to be ready for it. For, it did okay. for me because I think it was very sensitive to a lot of like the trigger points in myself, you know, and relationships. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And that kind of the, like the the unraveling. That's of interesting. The relationship. Yeah. It was have really, you have you beautiful. have you found in yourself uh, if you kind of pull together the films that you kind of resonate with most uh, as you get older? Are you finding oh, yeah. any kind of underlying themes that just like oh fuck, I never noticed that, but it's perversion and distortion perversion and distortion and curiosity is usually pretty much always the driving force like i love i love american beauty and 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 films like blue valentine i don't know i don't i don't actually rewatch blue valentine but i really appreciate it cuz i don't rewatch it simply because it's so powerful and it's like it's almost like staring at the sun yeah um, but i i actually never go back to infrequent films that are are convenient watches really um, I yeah, saved that yeah, for yeah. the office. I watched a lot of the office. Like that's where I, I kind of watch like silly, cheesy stuff, you know? So, yeah. But what about you? What are some of the films that you frequently come back to? Are the like well, themes of films? Yeah. So, uh, I've been beginning to think about that recently. I haven't quite got to the bottom of it, but I, I've rewatched a few films the last I've done, been doing a lot of flights. Um, like God, this year, I think about 50 and, I've been kind of re- re-watching films like that I, I've loved and watched repeatedly, like from like obviously Terminator 2. Um, <clears throat> I've talked about that in the past, but Batman Begins is a film that I've watched many times um, and Dark Knight, but um, Shawshank Redemption, Goodwill Hunting, um, Magnolia are three um, films that I find yeah. deeply, deeply fuck me up. Um, I see you loving Magnolia for many reasons too. Yeah. Yeah, and I, honestly, I, I'd be interested to hear—probably not on this public podcast—but I'd be interested to hear exactly why why uh, why you think that might resonate with me. But um, but well, it's, it's, it's all funny. the characters. Uh, you have a lot of those character traits inside of you. I think the difference. Yeah, I guess so. I, uh, all I, I all think of us that, do, though. I think in a lot of ways. Yeah, that, that's it. I think that I think what Magnolia does is it taps into a sort of um, personification of all of the fundamental dynamics that are inside of us and just personifies them puts them up on screen in such a way that you can immediately go, I, I identify with this set of emotions that this character is pathologically stuck to. Um, and it taps into, you know, all all sorts of themes, but Magnolia is, I think probably my favorite. It's not the film I've watched the most, but it's the film that whenever I watch it, I kind of walk away with just a sense of, Oh my God, that is just, there's, there's a depth to it that I can't fully articulate. Mm. But um, I can't no, wait I'm, for I'm, you to do a breakdown on that movie then, because that Paul Thomas Anderson is a he's a national treasure. Honestly, I think he really he oh man, and also he's another one of those guys where um, he's a he's an interesting one to hear talk about film because he's so 
there's nothing about his um, personal demeanor that you would watch in an interview that would would allow you to identify out of a you know a lineup that he's the guy that directed all these films. <laughs> nope. Do you know what I mean? He's he's, he's not very some smart guy. He's a very smart guy, but there's nothing pretentious or artsy or overly analytical or yeah. underly analytical. Yes. He's, I've seen interviews where he's just like just slopping away on a slice of pizza and just go, well, you know, I, you know, I got this I really just, I was in the Valley and, you know, I grew up in this space and I really wanted to like, that's exactly Derek too. Derek, the director of blue Valentine and place beyond the pines, the same, same thing. They're both guys. They're both humans. Yeah. Yeah. They're not it's a Chris Nolan where you're like, I'm with Chris Nolan. I'm like, what is this guy? Like, he's like a caricature or something. Like I, I yeah. Uh, yeah, and and, and it's Nolan's like, Nolan is a weird one. I've seen I've seen some interviews where he, I think he I think he lightens up in certain contexts. I just think that he's a deeply he's well he's a lot of fascinating. This is a segue, but his his uh, I read an article in the in the the Times, the, the UK Times, in two thousand and nine, two thousand and eight, when I was living in Amsterdam, and I've never seen it reproduced anywhere else online. Um, but I thought that it would be one of those things that is common knowledge, given that it's so uh, kind of serious. So there's Christopher Nolan, there's Jonathan Nolan brothers. There's a third Nolan brother. Oh, really? No one knows that no one knows about, right? And the third Nolan brother is the fucking most fascinating of all of them. And no one knows about it, which is bizarre to me because his story is so extreme. So he is a real life con man that actually murdered somebody. (laughs) And what I found fascinating about that is that so many of the themes of the Nolan brothers movies are about misdirection and, and deceit and conning and tricks and um and the the the, 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 the distortion between truth and lies and reality and, and deception my god and i read this article and basically the guy the guy got caught trying to get out of florida and go to cuba or something with money and he had he had basically been like conning some a lot of people out of a lot of money mm. um was like a real professional fucking con man wow and uh i need to i need to see if i can track it down because by the yeah, way I, I might be I might be butchering the the accuracy of it because I read it like 10 years ago, but I remember reading it thinking that's fascinating and then thinking that that was going to be common knowledge. But then when I went to look for it recently, I could only find traces of the story online. Mm. Um, but it, as far as I can tell, I mean, this was the times, so it's not like it's a, it wasn't like a, um, you know, like some sort of a trashy uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's not like Hello Magazine. Well, you know it's really I mean? interesting because Jonathan Nolan is, he speaks like me. And then Chris Nolan doesn't and they're brothers. Mm. And that's, yeah. weird. that's always was weird to me too. I was like, wait, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the family dynamics are always weird. You know, um, I'm always curious like how and where they, well, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're dual nationality. So, um, I think that the, the father is British, but they, they, they moved to America when they were younger and I forget what the father did, but I think it was something, I think it no, I think I might, I might be projecting too much, but I, I know that they've got dual nationality, so they're both British and American citizens from childhood. But uh, but but Chris Nolan went to Cambridge to study English Lit, so he's an academic literature student, and I think, I don't know, Jonathan Nolan did the same thing. I think he went down a different path, but I'm not sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. They're fascinating people, though, but like that's that's what I'm getting at. Um, I think PTA is, is a good example of just a person that, 
just makes their thing. I think Tom Ford has a little bit of that too. And I think Derek is, so what I'm getting at is when I'm listening to these guys and I think Fincher for me is just like, dude, you're just too smart. Like it's, I can't keep up, you know, like I'm trying to. (laughs) And like, I know that's something I love about his work is like, you can just go into it and you can fall into it and keep going into it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I I enjoy films like silence of the lambs or like, I just recently rewatched mystic river. When's the last time you watched that movie? I've, I've only watched it once. I watched it in Ooh. 2007. Rewatch and, uh, it. I, I, Rewatch yeah? it. Yes. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll check it out. Cause I remember it not enjoying hard. it. When... it yeah, oh, okay. Rewatch it. Um, I'm curious. I'm wondering why you didn't watch it, but I would like it for time, but it's a heavy film. So, well, I watched it. I was, I would have been nine twenty when I watched it. And, mm. uh, I was pretty. And that, that is the one with Sean Sean Penn. Sean right? Penn mm-hmm. and Clint yeah. Eastwood. It's a Clint Eastwood director. He did. It's one of his first uh, directorial de- debuts, I think, or one of the first. Yeah, yeah. But it it's might have a, just been a. It might have just been a life period thing because I am. I am definitely noticing that the things that I that I resonate with now. It's just a, a stage of life thing that just you know films have completely different meaning. Well, as it should. With different life experience. Yeah, exactly. As they should. Yeah. You shouldn't. Like, I always thought it was weird if you were like, this is, um, I don't mean to judge people, but I find it to be weird. Um, if you're like an older person and you're still like obsessed with Disney stuff, I guess that's fine, but it's kind of, there's some kind of weird thing that's happening there. Not that it's Disney stuff, but I'm just saying like, if you're yeah. still like yeah, rocking yeah, yeah. into turtle bed sheets, I don't know, you know, like what's the deal there? Yeah you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> maybe that, I, maybe I that's cool. Maybe they have a right. They have it right. And I don't, I don't know. I shouldn't judge, but I just find it interesting, you know? So it's why like, I always kind of like, it's really interesting. Like with like, say like the Mandalorian, that show that's out on Disney, I tried to watch a couple and I was like, well, what is this? And I just couldn't grasp it. And a lot of, I feel like I'm always an alien cause I'm the, like the one person that's just like, nah, I don't like it. Or I'm just like, it doesn't do anything for me. Well, I heard, I like I can never tell whether with these things now when something comes out and it gets like the hype. Mm. Um, I've been stung too many times by uh, getting my expectations brought back to like standard levels because other people say, oh, no, this is a return to form or something. And it's like, then you see it and you go, no, actually, it's not a return to form. It's just marginally better than the last piece of shit you got. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I don't know whether that's the case with Mandalorian. A lot of people are like super excited about it. Have you watched it? no, I haven't, but, yeah, I just, but yeah. what, I, I, I'll check it out. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll wait like six months to see if people are still talking about it. Cause that's a good, good litmus test. But it's like when I hear people say it's something's good, but then they're also saying that they're also actually taking seriously, like the fucking feature films that have come out recently. I'm like, yeah, yeah but if you tolerate any of this, then <laughs> you, your margins for like your what, taste what constitutes quality yeah. is, is for, yeah, it's so questionable. It's just, probably not worth a gamble yeah i just but, um, i simply just said things aren't just are just not for me so instead of saying they're good or bad i just go oh this is not for yes me. That's, yeah, yeah that's exactly i don't want to insult somebody if they're really enjoying that like hey you know like it's almost like um somebody's eating a burger from mcdonald's or something i don't want to go to them and be like you know it's eating a man I'm like, that's not my place you know let them, yes. let them enjoy their, I, let them enjoy that shit you know I, I, I agree. I've like, after my little stint in a few years ago, where I bitched about Jurassic world. It's like, well, look, if people enjoy it, they enjoy it. Yeah. Um, you're never going to win them over. And all you're going to do is add fire to like a flame that you just don't even care to lit uh, light up because it's not worth your time. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately. And, uh, like, cause I, I occasionally just, I'll drop a link onto like Facebook or something much to my 
regret. Like I'll, you know, share an article where Martin Scorsese talks about the Avengers and then, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I, I won't share my thoughts, but it's like, look, if you like the Avengers, good for you. You have a surplus of shit that you can watch that's produced so in much. that vein. Yeah. So you have no position to complain from because you are, you are drowning in content. Yeah. But if, if you're a fan of the sort of content that someone like Martin Scorsese makes and that guy has to drop to his knees and suck Netflix cock to get the money to make a fucking film after he's made so much <laughs> good stuff for the last 50 years, like you, you have to start saying, well, why is it that we're throwing 300 million fucking Avengers and Martin Scorsese can't get enough money to make a theatre production. It's like, what What the hell? Like, um, <laughs> that, that to me is where the, the, the whole thing goes off the rails. It's like when people are like, oh, you can't criticise this. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, you can. Criticise anything if you want. Well, exactly. And I think the main the main thing that I, I try to stick to as my rule is never punch down. It's like, mm. if, if you've got some new experimental thing that people try to make and it's 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 a risky thing and they've put their expression into it don't punch down that's an effort that desire that deserves respect but when you're on top and you're the giant and you're winning everything and you're you're throwing more money into domination yeah you get to punch up you get to sit there and say no this is shit you know <laughs> um but the moment you know once avengers is shown once that whole thing falls off you know collapses and on itself i'm not going to sit there and ridicule it yeah. because it's failing, but I am definitely going to feel comfortable taking pot shots at something that's, that's, that's maybe over milking its success. I don't know. But Have, I've, I've Joker, yeah. anything, but Have you seen Joker? I, I, I like the Joker. I loved um, it. I thought it was, yeah, yeah I well, thought it was really good. The first pass, I actually got really emotional and teared up a couple of times in it. I love getting emotional movies. I think that's when it's really working for me. Yeah. And then I felt yeah, like yeah. I felt horrible and dark after watching it. Um, and I thought that was really impressive. Um, so it wasn't entertainment. Yeah. I watched it a second time in New York, actually. And, uh, and I looked at it purely as a cinema thing in the film. And I was like, wow, this is... At first, I, I was like, I couldn't believe this was made. First and foremost, I was like, I can't mm. believe that this film was made right now. Um, yeah. But I know why it was, yeah, yeah. because it was a film about mental health wrapped in the story of Joker. You know, like wrapped in the yeah. guise of Joker. And that's why it was. Oh, um, man. And that's, yeah. that's, that's fucking... That, that is a summary of what all stories should be is like, look, this is men. This is a serious psychological, uh, reality to people that's being delivered through the vessel, uh, of a story. It's yeah. like you're, you're, it's, it, what is it? It's, it's the sugar that makes the medicine go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the story is just, people it's are just walking the jam the sandwich. That people, it was interesting. Yeah. yeah no, I, I like that. I, I like that. It was making people feel uncomfortable and they weren't wanting to yes. I think they were like, Oh, I'm going to watch like, um, what's that squad movie gangster squad or stupid squad or whatever. It's suicide squad. suicide squad. Like, oh, I'm going to watch suicide. Oh, squad. I think people were, were expecting that. I think. And yeah, you, you got us, you got served a nice dish of some interesting realities because the whole movie is inside the mind of a crazy person. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I was really, uh, I was, that's the last film I saw recently in theater. I was like, well, goddamn, cool. I'm thankful I came to the theater. Cause usually yeah. it's usually yeah, yeah. I'm just like, oh man, you know? Um, but I think that's normal. I think that, I think that, um, like I said, if I still had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles bed sheets, I think that there would be, there's something going on there, you know? Same with my yeah, film interest I, and I music so. interest, you know? Yeah. If I'm still listening to I punk think, rock and so I'm too. like, that's all I'm doing. I'm just like, okay, well, I'm, 
am I evolving or what am I doing here? You know? Yeah, so. I definitely, I definitely, I, I agree. I think, um, and it's not, it's not a, like, I, I know you, I know you're not intending it to be, I, I feel the same way. It's not a criticism of people to do that. It's like, that's, you know, everyone's. I am. Fuck you people. In- I'm just joking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, jokes have some truth in them and that one might have had a little bit. So. <laughs> but I, I just see it as a sign that, that certain, um, checkpoints in life have been, you've stalled at them, but you've, you've just reached a point where, um, and just, oh man, oh, you really enjoy like, them too. You know, I found a new interpretation or a new definition of, um, I, I forget where I was reading this and, uh, I'm paraphrasing again and possibly butchering it, but, um, it was, it was the, oh, it was actually the denial of death. It was the Ernest Becker book. And he, he talks about his, he's a clinical psychologist and his observations of depression. And he put, he put this in a way that I'd never considered before, but it, it, it was like that resonates deeply. He said, depression is when the person no longer has any courage. Hmm. Yeah. And, and what, what, what he means by that and what he explained by that is that when you get to a point in your life where you no longer have access to the fuel source that gives you courage to, um, to move outside of your own boundaries, then you get depressed. And the more you get depressed, the less courage you have to step out of it. So it's a self-fulfilling cycle. And he says, and he explained it in a way, and I was like, I never thought about that, that eventually depression will, will devolve you into a completely decrepit human being where you'll just lie in bed and shit yourself. Because as the depression seeps in, your, your courage to take on the challenge of even the most minuscule tasks becomes degraded. And the more you you regain access to that to that courage, and, and I, I don't mean courage in the sense that, in the sense that, you know, if you're depressed, you're 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 pitiful, or you're um, you're um, you're a, you're a, what's it called? Um, some sort of a shameful cretin. I mean, courage is is the the will to outwardly affect the world for your well being, and when you have depression you no longer believe that there's any point in that, in the possibility of that. So you actually just lose the courage to attempt it. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, I never considered it in that way before that, that way. actually when you're depressed and you don't have the, the will to act upon anything in the world, it isn't because you're depressed. It's because you no longer have the courage to believe it will make a difference. Mm-hmm. So you just don't bother, you know, and it's it a was real really, heavy, dark place too. Yeah. It, dude, and I have I'm not, friends I'm that not, have it, and I do my best to pull them out all the yes, time. Yes, and I'm, and I'm, and this is not a criticism of, dep- of people with depression. It's more no, it's it, we're just analyzing it, it and trying to understand. It's, it, yeah, it's it. an analysis, and I, the more I looked at, because I've gone through stages of, of depression in my own life, and I think we all have, I've, right? I've, when I've, yeah, we we all have, and when Should. I looked at it, when I looked at it through that lens, I was like, I've been most depressed when I've reached the point where I feel like. Um, the effort to make a difference is, uh, is, is, is negligible. Yeah. The, 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 the act of taking the step to try and make a change is just too exhausting to even attempt it. Um, it's a bad place to be. It's a horrible, it's a fucking horrible place to be. It's a taxi driver. You know, that's all these movies is that's, that's like, that's from some of the main key muse characteristics is right there. Well, you know, that, yeah. If thinking about it, thinking about the Joker through that lens, what mm-hmm. I found interesting is that um, I think that people are getting a kick out of the Joker in the sense that when a system becomes so constricting and so unjust that it 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 prohibits 
the normal functioning of life, then eventually the only force that you can turn to um, in a system where compliance is never going to save you is destruction. Yeah. And I think that yeah. I think that what the Joker is tapping into is that you start rooting for him. Ironically, the moment that he loses his shit and decides that he has the courage to just burn the fucking thing down, that's the moment when you start to go, fuck, he's a protagonist in this story, not not just a, a passive victim, yes. you know? Yes. And there's a, there's a weird thing to that, that you I actually do see the Joker as being a courageous force by the end, even though what he's doing is heinous. Yes. He's still he's a developed courage. Yeah. He's exactly because yeah. the, and the whole, whole world around him story. is just his experience too. It's just him, his out, yes. outward, his outward self. You know? Yeah. And his, his courage just like keeps on amplifying and, and it, it's a toxic courage, but it's a courage. Nonetheless, it's a courage of he yes. can change things, even though he's perceiving it in this distorted lens. I think it's a relevant courage. You know, you should rewatch it. I think the more you watch it. So the first, second pass I had with it, I, saw a lot of those trigger moments and I really was paying attention to just the subtleties of the edit and the cinematography and the, the acting of Joaquin and just kind of how everything was leading. And it's uh, on the surface, you think it's one thing and then you go deeper. You're like, Oh wow. Okay. Interesting. Cause uh, spoiler, yeah. spoiler alert. If you haven't watched it, which you should shame on you, but if you haven't watched it already and you're listening to this, maybe hold your hit the mute or something, but it's all in his head in my opinion. So, you know, the whole movie yeah. were in his yeah, head. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I, I would, I would, yeah, I would go down the same interpretation. Yeah. Um, I could see a really nice, yeah. nice, uh, uh, professor Hill analysis on that one too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd like to, the, the next film, I, think, I don't know. I, I don't really know what I'm going to do next, but the ne- my next talk is, is purely psychology and personality systems. Um, which is where the Trump thing comes in. And I've done it once or twice. Um, and um, it's actually a, a talk that revolves around the Enneagram, which is the, the psychology system that Fincher mm, uses. Fincher, so yeah. it's, um, so uh, I think, I think it's hopefully will be a valuable resource to people because it's, it kind of, I've been reading about it for years, but it's, it's been amazing to me how much it illuminates um, how our personalities are structured to protect us from our vulnerabilities and how actually predictable people are once you understand their early childhood vulnerabilities that were constantly prodded hmm. leads to the personalities and the, and the, <clears throat> the strategies they use in daily life. It's yeah. like a, it's a really, um, I, I would never have given it a time of day unless, uh, unless I'd found out that Fincher is obsessed with it. And obviously, like we said, he's no, <clears throat> this is no, uh, yeah. no simpleton, you know? Yeah. Smart so, guy. Have you watched the latest yeah. um, Fargo show? Have you watched that show? Fargo? I haven't watched Fargo, no. Is, mm. is Fincher involved in that? No, no, but it's um, it's actually quite good. Yeah, I'm a, oh, huge, cool. I'm a huge fan of, of the film. And I was I only bring it up because I you, what you're talking about is really there's characters and roles and traits that are um, turned up a bit, obviously, because it's romanticized and, you know, it's a show. But um, it's got a lot of interesting and fun and unique characters. And uh, yeah. Nice. I'll check it out. It. Is it, is that on Netflix? Uh, it might be, it should be. Um, I'll, I'll check it out. I've got, I've got, um, I've actually got some, some time on my hands for the next, uh, four or five days. So I should probably get in a binge. I've not watched any of the Fargo's. So I uh, really the, enjoyed the, them. The series. I was really quite check a, them out. taken aback by it. So oh, I heard man. the one with Ewan McGregor is amazing where he plays, he plays like two people. Plays himself. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He plays tw- <laughs> he's his twin brothers, I think. 
which is <laughs> really awesome. each. Well, the cool thing is that each season. So the cool thing about this, there's many cool things about it, but that's, it's like, it doesn't take itself too serious, but just enough, which is yeah. very hard to do. And um, yeah. another thing is each season's a whole nother kind of part of the world. So it's not even continuous, which is great. Right. So, which is quite brilliant. And they're all kind of uniquely different, which is great. Oh, okay, cool. I am loving, I'm, we're got, we've gone over, I pushed my other calls a little too far. So I have to definitely wrap this up. I'm oh, shit. Yeah, enjoying yeah, well, the shit out of this. We, 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 when we talk, we just talk too long, which is great. And uh, I always appreciate it. And thank you. When you sent off the email, it'd be like, I, we need to do a podcast. It's like, awesome. Whenever, when we'll do it. So, so thank you so much. Um, Sweet, man. No, thanks for having me. Um, yeah. Looking forward to, uh, to, to, to doing this again next time I'm in uh, California, which is, hopefully be maybe January I'll uh, swing by and we'll do some maybe another live podcast in the jiu-jitsu not not the same time <laughs> alright there it is um, man we could just talk forever I think we would just have um, there's so much to discuss and so many topics and um, the tangents could just go endlessly so really enjoyed it wish we could have just kept going I got kind of wrapped up in some uh, work and stuff so Sorry for cutting it off a little abruptly and shortly, but I hope that y'all enjoyed that one and it just leaves room for the next episode with Mike. Thank you, Mike, for coming on the show and thank you all for listening. If you want to find links to the show notes for this week's episode, you can go to the collectivepodcast.com slash 220 and you can also find links to Twitter, iTunes and um, Facebook and all that stuff on that page as well. Um, You know the drill, everybody. Go out there, kill it, be awesome, be amazing, put out some positivity, be powerful, be prolific. Peace out, everyone.